It's Tim, Horror Movie Yearbook. It is Scream Month here on the podcast, because, of course, the new Scream movie is finally being released in theaters on January 14th. Our plan right now is to see it, record an episode on the new movie. We'll also have a new Scream-related episode out next week, where we're going to be having a Scream draft, which is kind of like a fantasy football draft, but with Scream characters. It'll be a lot of fun. But... First up, since we are taking the first week of this month off, we wanted to head back in time to the summer of 2020. Ah, yes, the good old days of the summer of 2020, but that was also the summer when we recorded our Summer of Scream retrospective series. We are both pretty proud of the series, and we think we do a great job of tackling each movie in the Scream franchise. So, what this is that you're about to listen to is just our discussions of the movies themselves, movies one through four. If you want to listen to the entire episode, you can go back into our archives on horrormovieyearbook.com. For example, if you want to listen to the entire Scream 3 episode, where you can find some in-depth discussion of the Scream 3 soundtrack from Willie and I, then you can go to horrormovieyearbook.com and find our Scream 3 episode itself. But this is just a collection of the breakdowns of the movies themselves. So here you go. Almost three and a half hours of two guys talking about the Scream franchise. Enjoy, everybody. Scream released December 20th, 1996, a year after the murder of her mother, a teenage girl is terrorized by a new killer who targets the girl and her friends by using horror films as part of a deadly game directed by Wes, Wes Craven, written mm-hmm. by Kevin Williamson, starring Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, Matthew Lillard, Skeet Ulrich, Jamie Kennedy, Drew Barrymore, God. and who is the one? At- Rose McGowan. Yes. Um, maybe my favorite character in the movie. God, there's I a lot her. of people in this movie. So we, Before they were stars, too. This, most is, a great, of them. this is a great, great, great cast. Yeah. Um, yeah. Honestly, all of the screen movies have really solid they do. casts. Yeah, really so, talented. Yeah. yeah, I am excited to dive back in. I This was my favorite. I named this as my t- number one movie of all time. You had it on your top mm. ten at Lake four five somewhere around there yeah i think it was in the top half god isn't it funny how i forget so soon but yeah no i believe it was in the top half yep if you go back to our 100th episode by the time i get to scream i've got uh, i've got a good solid buzz on so i don't really <laughs> yeah that's fair but if you go back and listen to it we explain ourselves i talk a little bit about how this is kind of this is my gateway horror movie in a lot of ways like this is the one that opened up horror movies yeah for me right i had kind of flirted with horror movies in the past i had watched them but this is the one that caused me to just kind of dive right in and honestly the stuff that came at the movies that came after it stuff like i know what you did last summer and urban legend mm-hmm. kind of those teen horror movies of the late 90s that's the stuff that also kind of hooked me yeah. as well so that helped a little bit too but scream is the big one for me uh willie just some what are your overall thoughts on scream's a perfect movie um and i don't say that about a lot of movies i really don't um there's only a handful of movies that i think are perfect and i i defined this before on this show i defined it before on other shows i've talked uh, with about i i I, when i say perfect film i i think everything works all of it and i think that the movie accomplishes everything it sets out to do every emotion it wants you to feel I just think it fires on all cylinders, and it just—it's—it's it's an experience. It's perfect. Um, 
I, I mean, it's it's hard to talk about Scream because there's not a lot of fault I can find in it. There's none, um, which is crazy. Um, I just I think that the young cast is top notch. I think this is Wes doing his best work, and I think Wes is, was a very talented human being. But this is his best work, I think. Um, you've got Kevin Williamson at the top of his game. I mean, really, just an incredible writer, especially for teenage voices. Just so impressive. Um, kind of the second coming of John Hughes in a way, right? Kind of the, that generation's John Hughes, um, including the tone of what he did compared to what John Hughes was doing. You know, I, it was a little bit darker, a little more moodier, which the 90s was a little darker and moodier, so it makes sense. Um, there's just so much. It, it's just, it's a complete perfect horror story in and of itself but it also pays tribute to and celebrates everything that came before it not just in Wes Craven's filmography but everything that came before it um and it's got a character that for the first time in I think this is the first time in movie history that I really truly related to a character that I was really like that's me and I'm in the movie and I hope this guy lives because if he lives, I live. You know, I don't know. I really felt it was Randy, the Randy character. Oh, I thought you were going to say Henry Winkler. Well, of course, <laughs> the principal. What a weird character that is. Um, but uh, so, yeah, but you know what? Winkler owns. He does. Movie. <laughs> he does. He's there for one reason. Yeah, and he he does it well. Yeah. Um, anyway, sorry, Randy. The red herrings are not nearly as effective in later movies, but hey, Winkler's a pretty solid red herring in this one, actually. I think. What's Interesting about Scream, and I just jumping in because you brought yeah, up the course. red herring is it the later movies are all whodunits. Scream mm. kind of is, but for the most part, like it it doesn't focus that much on the whodunit. See, and that you're right, and you, I think you're 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 hitting on something that's very important at, for as to why Scream Two, and we'll talk about it next time. I think is one of the great sequ- horror sequels. And I really, I think there's things to like about Scream 3 and 4, for sure. I haven't rewatched those yet for this, right. so I, we'll see how I feel, but there are things definitely to enjoy there, too. But I think you're, what you're hitting on as a major difference is you spend so much of Scream, the original, so invested in what's going on and enjoying the storyline so much and enjoying the characters so much and enjoying the relationships so much and the music and the cinematography and everything that you lose yourself in it and you really don't care who the killer is, right? Yeah. You don't care. Right. It doesn't become a thing that you're... Um, after uh, after Barrymore lifts that mask up at the, in the opening sequence and looks at the killer like she knows who he is, that's the last time you really give a damn about thinking about who the killer is until we reach the, the finale and it's revealed. Yes. And then you go, whoa, 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 whoa. I remember I could not... I, I Should we... Preface, we're going to give spoilers about Scream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we can uh, just we're just going to have a conversation at this point. It, it's a movie that's been out for a very long time. If you have not seen Scream or two or three or any of these movies, at the very least, I will try. I will keep I'll sequel keep spoiler spoilers free, out. Yeah, but particularly but, when it comes to who the killer is, I will yeah. be spoiling Scream one starting now. Yeah. So you really, in my opinion, you don't, you don't care and don't think about who the killer is. You just want Sydney to survive and you want her friends to survive because you like these people, which is a rarity. Need I remind everybody in slasher movies? These are well-developed characters yes. and likable characters. It doesn't happen. By, by the time Scream came around, that genre was dead, right? And, and 
people had kind of grown cold on it, and I think a big reason of that is people got tired of the paper thin characters. I'm not saying every slash movie. There, there are there are strong characters throughout, but Scream was really top to bottom. I think as far as teenage characters, though, it had been a while. It had been a while, yeah, dude. Uh, yeah. since we got a, a group as interesting. I'll say too, because you know what? They're they're not always likable. They've got a hard edge to them. They're oh, very actually, much. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you're right. Likable is not necessarily the right word. Not for all. But you know what? Even then, though, they're, they're enjoyable still, to watch. Though they're enjoyable to watch, and yeah. they're relatable because they're kids in the '90s. Yeah, they're kids in the '90s. They are smart. Uh, they are smart when it comes to media, and they're also a little bit cynical and a little bit aloof a lot of the time. A lot of angstiness. Too. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yes. Yep. So, um, which is very, I mean, which was very much tapped into what how kids were during that time period. Having grown up in the '90s, I can yes. tell you, I every one of these kids in this movie, I remember somebody like that. Right. Usually older than me. Um, but I remember somebody like that. And now I, I know, I've seen some backlash towards the Randy character in some places, and I get it. like, because he is kind of a know-it-all. Sure. When it comes to that kind of stuff, but you know what? Like, yeah, like especially high school, college age kids, like that's that's the way they are. Especially film nerds like that. And I agree. And but and and, and here's the reason why I forgive it. And I think they're probably the because people that are more critical of that maybe are talking about the scene where he's standing up in front of the crowd and he's going on his kind of famous rant about you know like here's the rules of horror movies and blah blah blah. i think a big part of that is as somebody who is very much like randy uh maybe not as obnoxious as randy but you got to turn your characters up a notch or two to make them pop off the screen so i get it but i can imagine like this is my time to shine like i'd be so excited like i'm the i'm the life of the party right now because i'm the one who gets to show my expertise and he's talking in that scene he's talking to the cool kids Yes, he's talking to the kids. So that this are there is probably the first time he's had an active, active listening audience of yes. cool kids. So yeah, he's going to get into it, um, <laughs> and he's probably going to just talk about basic stuff. Yeah, yeah, probably. So no, I, 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 I don't know. I think we're being too hard on Randy. No, not, I just uh, want to. Bring, us, I wanted to bring that up because I think I, folks are being too hard. Yeah, because I've seen that pop around, and I think it's a little bit. You have to remember the time, and I don't think you have to remember the character too. And yeah. that scene you talk about, I want to talk about a little bit later too when we talk about some of the Billy Stu Sydney stuff, because that scene is very, very important when it comes to explaining what I think is like the smartest scene in the film, which is that first attack on Sydney. Because mm. like it kind of hit me this time around, like how incredible that scene is and some of the stuff it is. But anyway, we'll go back to where we were at. Yeah, so the, the, the you forget, kind of, you don't think about who the killer is. And, and when the reveal happens, uh, the initial reveal is um, technically Billy, right? Because he comes down the stairs mm-hmm. and she sees he's battered and bruised and he licks the blood off and he's like, oh, it's... And then she turns to run out and Stu's there and she kind of looks at him up at him like help me out and then he's and I remember just I did not see this in theaters I saw two in theaters I saw this one on VHS same here yep and I, re- I will never forget my mind ex- my head exploded I was like this is, you can't they can't have two killers like in my 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 slasher fan mind I was like you can't have two killers that's not allowed right like like in it's amazing that like the the genre was so ingrained in my brain at that point that I had already hit this point of you can't do that. <laughs> right. Um and I was just so amazed by it and so taken aback by it. And uh, I think it still works because 
I remember watching this not terribly long ago with a friend of the show, Nick, who had not seen it before and did not know the twi- the ending. I, were you there for that? No, I was not. And it was wonderful. I got to, I just, I watched his face during that sequence because I'm like, I got to see his reaction. And I think he was like, oh my God, wow, that was kind of clever, like to, mm-hmm. you know, to do too. So it still works. Um, and I think a lot of that is script because the script is yes. very good. Um, but a lot of that is Wes. Well, this is, this is a perfect match for Wes in a lot of ways. It is, yeah. And it, for him it to come across this, especially after New Nightmare, which is kind of the proto-scream in a lot of ways, this is, I mean, he knocks it out of the park. Wes is, this is his, I'm with you, I think this is his masterpiece. I think this is. I agree. I think yeah. this is, and I love a lot of his movies, and I don't like some of his movies. Sure. But Wes is always, at the very least, Wes is always interesting, I think. <laughs> yeah, want, I think so. I don't want to make, uh, I think so too. But this, I think, is just everything. Yeah, it's. The- everything. I think this is this is his movie, in my opinion, for right. sure. Um, I think he'll always be more remembered, probably for Nightmare, but and that's okay, that's fair. Uh, I think ni- Freddy Krueger is certainly the more iconic creation, but I think the best film is Scream. Um, but yeah, man, I you know, so you don't. I think what you were saying earlier is uh, you don't. You get so lost in the movie, you don't think about it. Whereas with the sequels, I think what's interesting is when the sequels come along. You've now been blown away by this twist of a reveal of not one but two killers, mm-hmm. and now you're like, "Who's it going to be this time?" It becomes less about certainly as we move through the series, but two starts to become less about I think the story and less about the characters. I think there's still a lot of character there, and there's still a lot of enjoyment there if you're fans of the characters. But I think a lot of the thrill of 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 the sequels winds up being who's going to get unmasked. Right. Um, it, and was, I, even, it was like the selling point to them. It as well. became that. Yeah. Certainly. Um, pretty quickly. The third one, if I recall the advertisements were all geared around. Yeah. It became that too quickly, I think. And I, and I'm one, I'm a person who actually for the most part enjoys the sequels, but I do remember, yeah, when two came out and we'll talk more detail about that. I remember being in class and this girl had seen it early for somehow she saw it early. She came in, she's like, guys, I saw Scream 2. Like, guess who the, you know, and somebody at like, oh my God, who's the killer? And she's like, I'm like, shut up. <laughs> shut your mouth right now. Because that was such an important aspect of it. Yeah, know? my uncle saw it in the theater before we Scream 2. Yeah. yeah. And that was all he wanted to talk about. And I'm like, you don't talk to Please me Please don't. <laughs> yeah. So I did not get it spoiled for me. So I think I got three spoiled for me somehow before it happened but whatever we'll get into that later um uh but this the, this movie it really does it's uh that reveal man that it's amazing and, and everything leading up to that works too but my my randy being my boy that that always that was kind of my in for this movie and and uh in my younger days i definitely related to that character so um i just i think it's a perfect movie man i really do i think the other thing about this movie is it, it it's not a mystery movie it is a horror movie it's a dark comedy uh, it's all of these different things and it's very funny like it's a funny funny movie even in its darkest moments yes yeah. <laughs> live her alone live her alone uh all right hit me with the phone you dick <laughs> i love that everything lillard's doing in the final reel of this movie the final act of this movie is so good i think lillard is so 
I was I was with you when I I pro- I still like Randy a lot. I don't want to pretend like I yeah, yeah. I still like Randy a lot. But I, but I, Randy was the guy too. Like he was yeah. when I <laughs> but bad Lillard is on fire. And I also kind of have a soft spot now for um Rose McGowan in this movie. I think she's fantastic yeah. in this. Movie. Yeah, her character's fun. She's yeah. peppy and mm-hmm. yeah, I like Rose McGowan. She's yep. she's a lot of fun in the Stoofy, But man, Matthew Lillard, <laughs> he is like. Dude, every line is hysterical, and I've always kind of liked Lillard. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I always thought it was funny. I will say one thing before you continue that I I do think is very, very cool about this movie, and 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 going back and rewatching it, you can specifically figure out who who is behind the mask in any given scene, right? Which is very cool to me. I do um, think that is a big. The re, this is a very rewatchable film because yeah. it's rewarding on rewatches. Yeah, 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 which is nice. And that's an aspect. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so that's the thing about this movie. Is you, and so it's all of those things. And the other thing is you kind of. So the '90s, like we've gone through quite a few '90s movies on this show. The '90s aren't. They get a little bit of a bad rap because they come after the '80s, which everybody kind of agrees. Like is one of the high point decades-wise for, for sure. horror. Yeah. This also came after that second slasher cycle, which was like 86 through, well, from about Nightmare on Elm Street on to about mm-hmm. 87, 88, I would say. Yeah. But this came at a time when those, I said we talk about the Weinsteins because they were in charge of Hellraiser at the time. Uh, but this <laughs> is, those big franchises had devolved into absolute stupidity for the most yeah. part. I mean, Jason Goes to Hell had come out for the Jason movies. Yep, we had just, I mean, we were just coming out of f- technically New Nightmare, but yeah, Freddy's Ni- Dead. Freddy's Dead was and, stupid. And New Nightmare, was the goal was never to resurrect the franchise. No, the anyway. goal was to do what Scream did, yeah. Yeah, which is deconstruct. Yeah, yeah exactly. Movies. So that, that character was dead. Where was Halloween at at this point? Halloween would have been, I think... Oh, Five had come Five out. had just come out in 95, yeah. right? Yeah. Yep. So, would, no, wait, would they have been on Curse? Uh, it had not come I, out because Curse was post Scream. Curse mm-hmm. was the Curse was Curse was the first. I thought post- H2O was. Was it? I think Curse is late ninety five. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I have to write about that. I don't know. Anyway, but I mean, the Hellraiser movies had devolved into. I, I think maybe Hellraiser was in space at this point. I can't remember. Either yeah. way, <laughs> Hellraiser hit their hit their high point early. <laughs> so even if I'm wrong on that, like it doesn't matter because whatever Hellraiser movie that came out was terrible. But we were getting. You had to really kind of look for the gems. I think a little harder in the '90s. I think Candyman is a good one, and but even some of the more fun stuff is kind of it kind of borders on schlock, schlocky nonsense. So there's some good stuff in the 90s, but Carpenter had kind of reached the end of his... Curse was 95. Okay. But Carpenter had kind of... Yeah, Carpenter had kind of reached... He was post, I think, Mouth of Madness. And, yeah, and the Mouth of Madness was 94. Yep. So, um, so he was past the prime. He was past, point, the yeah. King adaptations, have, those had kind of... Even King's writing around this time... Like I think desperation like came out around this. King's writing was not some of his horror. This is not long not. before his accident. Yes. Yeah. So the horror genre was in need of a jolt in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah. And like I said, there's some good stuff, but you kind of have to dig for it around the time. And the thing was, Scream was like Scream not only kickstarted. There's a book called Scream. Scream. Oh, deconstructed that I had read. Shout. I don't remember the author. I'll, I'll try to remember by the end of the show. 
Kessinger, I think is his last name. Okay. Anyway, but he points out, he makes sure to point out, like, it didn't just kickstart the subgenre of, like, teen slasher movies. We call them WB thrillers. WB thrillers, yeah. yeah. stuff like, we talked Urban Legends, I Know What You Did Last Summer, mm-hmm. uh, The Skulls. Teaching Mrs. Tingle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> A Williamson joint. Um, but it, it didn't just kickstart those. Like, they were a... Scream kind of helped kickstart stuff like American Pie, like those teen sex comedies. For sure. And it helped restart that kind of um, Zucker Abrams um, airplane style spoof with Scary Movie because they started to make all those spoof movies. That's right. And that all spun out of Scream. And Scream is not a spoof. No. Scream, in a way... It could have fallen into that if they did. Yeah. If the wrong studio had gotten a hold of it, I think it could have been... Yeah. Yeah, and if I think if Wes wasn't there as a guiding hand, and and if Williamson, so Kevin Williamson has said that his favorite movie of all time is Halloween, and in some ways I think this feels like a spiritual sequel to Halloween. Yeah. Because we talked about the characters; they're interesting. They all are also kind of have a hard edge to them, but they feel like real people. Yeah. Which the Halloween characters do. The other thing too is we always talk about with Halloween. The scary thing about Halloween is that it's death. And it's essentially Michael Myers, who is death incarnate, coming to small town suburbia, small town white suburbia. Right. This is the same thing, except it's white suburban kids doing the killing. Yeah. Like, it's not some force of nature. This, in a way, is scarier yes. and of its time. And a couple of years later, something would happen. Columbine would happen. That, um, and there were... That has some alarming parallels with what's yes. going on here. Yeah. yeah. And there were school yeah. shootings and stuff like that of course, to this point. But that was, like, that was the first big mass shooting yeah. like that in America when it came to schools. I think it was the highest at the time. I think it was 15. I, Most of the school violence yeah. in the 90s... There was, I, I think there was. I think it like peaked in '93, but most of it was like one-off. Like that was. I remember that was the first for me, the first real like shocking event that I vividly remember right. when it happened. And then the second would be probably 9/11 would be the second major. Yes. You know, in the in in this country certainly. But what's, um, it, what was scary about that? Yeah, what was scary about this is it's white high school kids killing other high school kids yeah <laughs> like yeah. and so scary with michael myers this is taking that a step further with michael myers it's a uh, force of nature for the most yeah, part right i know he comes from haddonfield i know all that i know the backstory but for the most part he is just this force of nature this is, this humanizes mm-hmm. him um so yeah you, and, and and these characters have uh, the other scary part is you, because you've got the two killers right you've yes. got Billy's motive, which is a real motive that he has. I mean, he's still an insane person, but he's got a reason for what he's doing, right? Right. In his own twisted mind. He's got a revenge plot here. Stu, and I don't know if you ever read into this when when you watch those kind of reveal moments. I don't think Stu had any idea that the, Billy was doing this for those reasons. Let's, okay. Let's, can we dive into Billy's Stu Sydney stuff? Yeah, as long as you don't, as long as you're cool with that right now. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, because there's I, a lot going on there. Okay, so the first question I want to ask you, do you think they had a relationship, Billy yes. Stu? So you 100%. will fall on that side. Yep. 100%. I, um, I I think I... I don't think it necessarily started off as that. I think that... I don't think it started off as that necessarily, but I think it, it certainly became that. Yeah, for sure. Now, do you think that... Now, Kevin Williamson is a gay man. He's 
homosexual man. I did not know this, actually. Oh, did you not? No. Yeah, so he is. Now, I think... I'm with you. I think they did. I don't think it matters too much, really. I don't but think I, so either. But I think, I, I, I think there's enough implication there that yes. I, and I think it's... So the reason I'm not completely sure it's heavily implied, I think, throughout the film, particularly at the end. I think the end is kind of an explosion of implications when it comes to that with, with the knife plunging and all of that stuff. I kind of think that might be a little bit more Wes in the sense that... Sure. With Williams, says, there is kind of a trope of the repressed homosexual, like, mm-hmm. as serial killer that I think yep. is a little bit iffy, a little bit problematic. No, it is. Sure. So I think maybe... It's a dated... It is dated. Uh, yeah. And I would think that Williamson probably knows that. I'm not going to say he didn't put it in there as as a hint. <laughs> I mean, I don't... I'm not going to say he didn't have it in his head, because honestly, it makes sense, too, sure. plot-wise. Um but I think that's that feels to me like something Wes would definitely try to play up with his direction at the end. Sure, I could see that. And I, I, you know what's funny is I don't. I think just because there was a relationship between those two characters, I don't necessarily think that they're necessarily homosexual characters. I'm not that's even saying fair, that. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even mean. Yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. I'm not even saying. That. I, I think I think these two had some sort of physical relationship. I just I I don't even know that they're homosexuals. I think right. I, I think that. I don't think Stu is anything. I think Stu is out of his fucking mind. And That's, yeah. I, I, I think he sees people as playthings. I don't even think he... You know what I mean? Stu, yeah. He's yeah. along for the ride. Yeah. He's he's whatever. Um, as long as Stu's having a good time. Because I think Stu was in a legitimate relationship with Tatum at the start of this, this movie. Right. Or not the start of this movie, but I, I think that he was at some point. Um, and we know for a fact that he was also in a relationship with Casey. Yes. Which goes to show you that really Stu had his little bit of revenge plot at the very beginning of this movie too, right? I mean, he got his comeuppance from her. So there is a personal stake in it for him too. But no, I'm with you. I've always thought that there was something going on there. How deep it goes, I don't know. But I don't think it's explicit. No. And I don't think you have to. And that's fine. It doesn't need to be. You don't have to go along with it. Um, but I think it's I think it's there. I think you can read into it. I do think it's there. Um, I also, like I said, I do not think... Lillard's a pretty solid actor, actually. Right. And, and, and um, I, every time I see this movie, his performance there in the moment when Billy is talking to Sydney about, you know, your mother is a whore and all this stuff. And, you know, she's the reason why my dad left or my, or my mom. I don't know. Whatever. She's the reason my family fell apart. Uh, there's a couple of moments where they focus over on to, they switch over onto uh Stu's reaction, he has no idea that any of this was the case. I really don't think. I do not think. I think he thought that Billy was just like him. He was just in it for the shits and giggles, right? right. He, they were just like Bonnie and Clyde. They were like, you know, just just in it for the, th- the cheap thrills of it. And that was not what Billy was in it for. Not even. I think Bill, Billy enjoyed it. But he was, at the end of the day, he was doing it for a goal. He had a goal in mind. Now, yeah. So the stuff I wanted to talk about with Billy and Stu and that one scene... Uh, this is, okay, I found the title. Scream Deconstructed, and I want to give credit. It's Scream Deconstructed, an unauthorized analysis by Scott Kessinger. And I've okay. been, yeah, I've been reading it, and he points it out, and it's the first time I think that it's really hit me, that, that first scene, because it's, it's always been a little bit weird to me. I've always kind of got it, but that scene where Sydney is attacked in her house, and she runs into the arms of Billy. Mm-hmm. So what Billy and Stu are doing there, and I... This is where I think the 
the kind of sexual dynamics get really interesting is Stu is essentially trying to scare Sydney into Billy's arms. Yes. He's not trying to kill her. No. He's trying to scare her so that Billy can manipulate into her into having sex with him yes. so that he can follow the rules of those 80s slashers that he's grown up on. And there is... There's an old Nirvana in Bloom lyric. And and really what they're doing too, real quick, with uh, what Stu's doing by chasing her around is also setting up Billy to wind up getting locked up so that a phone call can be made. So yes. like they know what they're yeah, they know what they're doing. Yeah, anyway. it makes sense plot wise and it makes sense yeah. character motivation yeah. wise. Yeah, there's an old uh, in Bloom by Nirvana. I'm not gonna sing again, don't worry. Uh, but it goes uh, he's the one who knows all our pretty songs and he likes to sing along and he likes to shoot his gun, but he don't know what it means. Mm. And like, that's what it always, that's what that reminds me of is like those 80s slashers movie slasher movies, particularly, well, it's not eighties, but Halloween, like they always sure. had something to say and not all those, those good ones, the stuff that came after it. And I think a lot of the stuff that gets held up as kind of like kind of misogynistic trash yeah. in a lot of ways is like cheap cash in stuff sure that people just made for a buck to capitalize on stuff like halloween and yep. nightmare on elm street that and like that's the stuff i think that billy is obsessed with and yeah. like that's those are the movies those are the rules that he has to follow and like so that is what that lyric reminds me of because he doesn't connect with like what stuff like Halloween is trying to say he's seeing at a surface level which is I have to make this girl have sex with me so that I can kill her later because those are the rules those are kind of the misogynistic slasher rules that I and like that's kind of his background and his reasoning for killing is because of his mom breaking up the marriage and he kind of sees her as a quote-unquote slut yeah, and he wants to punish all sluts like he yes. does, like he sees done in those slasher movies, and like this is the first time I think that that's kind of hit me how kind of incredible that scene is to me, yeah. <laughs> like early on because it's it pretty twisted it. stuff. And so when Randy is standing up in front of the cool kids and explaining, like he's explaining that scene to those kids, yeah, and it's uh, it's necessary and it's so smartly done, and that is a combination of Wes and. Um, Wes and Williamson. It's the perfect marriage of those two. Yes. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you, man. Yeah. I think there's a lot of stuff going on in Scream. Me too. Underneath the surface that you can, you can delve into, and I think part of the like like I said, I think part of the thing that's always fascinated me on repeat viewings is who is doing who's in the behind the mask at any given time because it's very important. I think. Right. Um, if you want to dig deeper, yes. For and instance, Stu being the one to chase uh, Sydney into into Billy's arms. There you go. That's just one sequence, right? Right. Um, you know. Uh, another perfect example is, and a reason why I always think that Stu, Stu did care about uh, Rose McGowan Tatum. I think he had legitimate feelings for her, despite his craziness. Billy's the one that goes and takes and, and kills her. Um, there's a moment when, literally, when Billy comes back into the room and he kind of gives Stu like a nod, almost like yeah like it's it's done kind of thing it's interesting um there's moments like that that you can if you look at you're like holy shit they're acknowledging each other right there right like um even moments like 
when when Stu's doing his liver alone and making all those jokes and Billy kind of hits him like shut the fuck up dude yeah. <laughs> like he's telling him that because he's like you're gonna screw this up for us yes. not because you're being insensitive that's not it like you know what I mean the rewatches really do they'd add something yep. I think yeah for sure. Okay, good. Nick, you need to rewatch this. <laughs> I think, yeah. Oh, definitely. Uh, I think anybody who hasn't seen her in a while definitely needs to rewatch this yep. movie because I think it's, yeah, beginning. I, yeah. Uh, the other question I wanted to ask you, what do you think about Gail Weathers in this movie? <laughs> Gail. Um, she, you know what? She, in this movie, she's kind of just an asshole. Um, but you know what, though? She's so perfectly a time capsule of what a lot of journalism was like in that time period because this is coming out of oj yes and this is she's very sensational hard copy was the show inside edition i think was this is very sensationalistic uh 90s uh shock rock type news right um that's and, and so i think i can't even say that her character ages great in this movie because it is a little bit of a time capsule, right? Because we don't we don't see this like we used to. It's not the Jerry Springer era anymore, right? Um, but I think that anybody who kind of goes into this movie recognizing that that is a character who has to recognize that's a character that very much would exist in that in that um, time period. And I think she grows as a character too. To be honest with you, no, I think this. Is, yeah, I th- I personally I think that you learn not super early on, but you learn, and not even through her and Dewey's kind of early romance stuff here. You do learn, I think, towards the end of the movie that all of that is an act for her. She's doing what she... She's I, being, I think she has a good arc in this movie. Yeah. Actually. yeah. I think she's totally, 110%, she's playing a character of Gal Weathers when she's on the news and doing the job she's doing. Doesn't make it okay. She's still kind of reprehensible in a lot of ways. Yeah, she, she's but, kind of a shitty person, but... But she, <laughs> but she is literally just doing what she thinks she has to do as a woman in the 90s in journalism to be successful and that's to be shocking and salacious that's it that's i don't think there's I, I don't think there's you know what i mean and i think that there are a couple of moments in this movie where like you see her kind of just say you know what fuck that like, yeah. like I, I don't need to be this person right now you know and i think as the movies go on i think you get more um more of her as a person i, think, I like gail i do yeah i think part of the reason okay so i'm not gonna get too deep into this i promise sure i think part of the reason with the thing with gail is like she's a good she's part of the issues I think we have in the world right now. A lot of the people that we see like Gail are not like Gail. They're just con men and con women mm, sure. on the news, and sure. and I mean like they have infiltrated like mainstream sure. news at this point. Um, Gail though is a pretty sympathetic version of that in a lot sure. of ways because she is that but she's not a con woman she is she's just kind of shitty but there is a part of her that's trying to get to the actual truth of this i had this i always get this vibe of gail and they don't dig terribly deep into it at any point but gail was somebody who legitimately wanted to be a good reporter and an investigative journalist and yes. that was what, and then she figured out unfortunately pretty quickly that as a young attractive woman the only way she was going to be taken seriously is if she went this route of it was just the only way it was going to work for her yes but i think that she still has a passion for maybe i'm thinking way too deep into this she still strikes me like you said as having a passion for digging in and getting down to the truth even if it means she has to be 
that character and be that person. I just think know? it's an interesting snapshot of the time because yeah. I think if you made Scream right now, that character would be a straight up villain in a lot of ways. It have to be, right? I think it would almost have to have be. Have to be. But back in the 90s, we were still in the middle of that kind of yeah. but now all bets are I off. think we're too far gone. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, I want to talk about games yeah, a little bit. Yeah. No, that's fair. Um as far as other characters, I like I I love Sydney. I think Sydney Prescott's a great character. Great, um, uh, one of the great final girls heroines. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, love Dewey. Dewey is not terribly active in this one, like he will be. Dewey um, is. He was actually supposed to die originally in this movie. Yeah, um, there was. They added that scene of him on the stretcher. I remember um, clinging to Dewey more in the sequels, particularly yeah. two, if I recall. Yeah, Dewey, I think, becomes a much stronger character in two. In, in this movie, he's certainly lovable, and there's a reason why they decided to keep him around, and I'm glad yeah. they did. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't do a ton in this movie, and that's fine. Um, this is where he and Courtney Cox fell in love, right? That's awesome. Yeah, yes. yeah. I think he says, they, we met on Scream 1, we fell in love <laughs> during Scream 2, and we got married during Scream 3, and we were divorced <laughs> during Scream 4. So, yes. Yeah. Um, but anyway... So if they get around to Scream Five, who knows, man? Yeah, you know, who knows? Uh, they still, I believe, they're still very cordial with each other. Yeah, yeah, I, that's I think nice. they still, they had a production company back when uh, Cougar Town was on the air, uh, her show on ABC. Like yeah, was, I like to, I like to yeah. think there. My guess is she's probably a little concerned about his, his extracurricular his professional activities. wrestling yeah. career, <laughs> getting stabbed in the neck with light tubes. <laughs> but by my man Nick Gage. Yeah, he's a maniac. Um, <laughs> anyway, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I like Dewey. Um, I like I like all the, the whole cast actually quite a bit. Uh, this movie doesn't have any black people in it, which is a little problematic. I think I <laughs> was saving some of that because I think there is a little bit. Well, obviously there are black characters in the second sure. movie, and I think if I recall correctly, there is stuff to say. Yes, uh, like in that. Yes, on in that the second subject. movie. Yeah, it's a little bit. It's a little weird to me that there's not at all. I mean, at the time it didn't bother me. If I'm being honest, I just didn't. I didn't think about it. But I think I will say this. I, think, I don't know. It ties into what we talked about a little bit earlier, which is we're we're going what's scary to white America, white kids getting murdered by other white kids. Sure. Well, yeah. and I should say this is a this is a bit of a a well-to-do waspy group too. Right. I could see them being maybe not even fully intentionally being a little bit elitist and a little bit you know we only hang with our type kind. Right. Um, and I'm not even saying that of like the Sydney character necessarily. I think she hangs out with these people. But I don't. I, I don't think they necessarily are actively, uh, you know, bad kids in that sense. I think that they just they are in a bubble. Yes, yeah, very much so. What they think is a very safe bubble. Um, yes. So yeah, and honestly, it almost works because then two is where Sydney kind of gets out of that bubble, and that's yes. where she interacts yeah. with the characters. And let's be honest, a lot of folks grow up in a bubble that's very similar. Yes, oh, I did totally. Yes, I did. <laughs> totally. uh, I know you did too. Yep. So. So you know, yeah, I didn't get yeah exposed to other cultures, all their races a lot until I went away. Much later, yeah, same here, really. I mean, same here. So so it works. It works in that sense too. Yeah, yeah. I do remember that's I I thought the same thing, but then I remembered two dives into that, and honestly, like that is a thing that West dives into a lot in the nineties. Yeah, with people under his stairs and yeah, yeah. And I think he does a mostly good job of it. Yeah, so. I do too. So I forgive that a little bit. Um. Yeah, I love Scream. You want to talk about Ghostface real quick, that mask? Yeah, what a cool mask, right? Yeah, Wes was not happy with the MTV show. <laughs> Wes, is, Wes got like, uh, before he passed, sadly, he, he got very like, kind of catty. He got very carpenter? He had that, um, he was more like, yeah, he was more catty. He was more like sassy in some ways. Um, like, What was the one tweet I sent you about 
<sighs> Shoot, I don't even remember. Anyway, God, he, I don't remember either now. No, it's really funny though, because uh, it was about. Wasn't it about cursed? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody's like, "Please, we need the cursed cut," and then somebody goes, "Please don't." Or, <laughs> no, it's okay. Don't. <laughs> anyway, but he um, he was not happy with the MTV Scream mask. He he was like, "Why did they even bother?" That's amazing. Oh, uh, like, well, I get grouchy about that. I don't know. I might mean, get it. it I, it's not as good, but yeah, they brought it back for Scream Resurrection, the Mary J. Blige Tony Todd. Is that what it's called now? Scream Resurrection is that yes. the, the current? Okay, cool. Yeah, um, I I'm gonna watch it and then I will report back by Scream Four. This was so a lot of people think this was inspired by the painting. Uh, is it Edward Munch? Yes, the Scream. The Scream. Yep. But it was actually more of an homage to. I found this bloody disgusting and Fangoria back in 2000 around the time of Scream 3 had an article on this. It was more of an homage to the old. Do you remember the old Betty Boop cartoons? Those ghosts, those like, oh were, man, yes. And they would yes. float around like that. I do. It's more of a, an homage to that. And then some of the things in Pink Floyd's The Wall. Um, okay. So it was actually more of an homage to that. It was originally, I think it was called Fun World. They sold these masks between ninety one ninety two a version of them. Uh, the final, uh, this is from Bloody Disgusting, guys. Okay. The final design was approved by Fun World Vice President Alan Geller. Craven claimed to have originally found the mask, but later clarified that he misremembered the event, and it was producer Marianne Madalena who discovered it. She found it while inside a house during location scouting for the film and brought it to the attention of Craven, who set about trying to obtain the rights to use it. Fun World licensing director joined Fun World 96 and was given the task of naming the mask prior to its film debut and deciding on Ghostface with the blessing of Fun World owners. He believed it looked like a ghost in pain. Yeah. So I, I think it's one of the best. Oh, it's so sweet. Yeah. And it could have come off as goofy, right? Yes. But it's really cool. And you know Wes was drawn to it, I think, too, because it was uh, it reminded of that painting. That was part of it. Yeah, oh, yeah, Professor. Um, <laughs> uh, and it, there are some parallels to be drawn to the Michael Myers mask, too. I mean, there's a, right. there's a blankness to it. That it's just almost pure white. Um, yeah, I love the ghost face. And it led and, to the best moment in Scary Movie where it gets high. It's so sweet. It, it's so sweet. Um... <laughs> God, what a moment. Uh, <laughs> Still, honestly, it's one of the funniest things of all yeah, time. That movie's not good. It doesn't age well. There is some stuff in... There's some problems. Um, <laughs> there are full-on characters that are issues. <laughs> there is one scene in particular. Boy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but that that mass changing to that goofy grin, after it's really funny. Uh, that's yes. a good gag. Anyway, I think they wrote the movie because of that. Somebody came up with that. Anyway. Yes. Um, what I love about Ghostface too, and I'm not talking about the 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 men behind the mask anymore. I'm just talking about the presence and the character of Ghostface when it's the masked killer. Is I love that he's kind of a clumsy fuck, and he falls down, and it's you can hear best. him go like, "Ah, ow, yes, Jesus!" Ah. <laughs> like it's the best. Um, because it Jason's never really clumsy in those early ones, but yes. you don't get the like, Ugh. ah, oof. Um, I love that about Ghostface because it's part of the character. You're constantly reminded that somebody human is underneath that thing. Yeah. Even if you don't care who it is, you're reminded right. this is someone under here. It's not some unstoppable killer like Jason, Freddy, Michael Myers. This is a real person here. And I love that. Um, and of course, a big part of what makes 
the character of Ghostface works so well is the voice on the phone, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember what the gentleman's name is. It's somewhere in my notes. Um, like... But he's a uh, he's a he's a character man. Have you ever listen to interviews with that guy? No, I have not. Actually. Well, he doesn't show off his face. No, at all. He refuses to. Amazing. I don't think anybody other than probably Wes uh, knew what he looked like. So, no, nah, I, I think <laughs> people know now. But um, for a long time, he he refused to uh, to meet anybody. You know. To say who he was, so do you know what Wes did to poor Drew Barrymore in that opening scene to oh get her boy. to cry so much? I don't. He told her like horrible stories of animal rights, like animal abuse, because oh. she's a big animal rights activist. So he would just like sit there and just like tell her awful stories of things. I like to see. think that that was her idea. Hopefully, <laughs> that he didn't just go. You know what I'm going to do? Yeah. Yeah. Man, another fact. Um, because you were talking, she does about- seem very upset in those that op- that opening sequences, dude. She's been oh we uh, I we it's insanely good. she's so good yeah, yeah I, we should point that out that it's so good that was a big selling point of this movie too especially after its release was it was all like you have to see the first ten minutes of this movie it's so good and it's still I mean that is Wes operating at peak Wes like he has got that thing tight and locked down yep. uh, the other thing is caller ID after this movie increased threefold uh can't blame uh, people no <laughs> and it's become an integral part of our every because it's just built into phones now yep so I uh, roger jackson by the way sorry is, is, yeah, i knew it was Arlen, i was gonna call him richard ah the uh one other fact i wanted to get out to the mpa the good old mpa this was uh rejected for r and rated nc 17 nine times now uh, my understanding was some of that was certainly violence and gore based but a lot of it was the fact that it was violence against kids correct it's- Correct. Yeah. They had to, yeah, and they had to, what was a couple, so a couple of the issues that I remember them having is they, uh, the Weinsteins told them like, no, this isn't really a horror movie, it's a dark comedy, and they bought that, and Wes told them, they were, they took particular issue with the first 10 minutes, and particularly the stabbing of Drew Barrymore's character in the chest. Okay. They thought it was too brutal, so he, Wes told them like, that's it, I don't have any other shots, like that's gotta go in the movie, and they believed him, and the other thing too is that shot uh, that kind of quick. Yeah, it was never meant to be like that, right? Yeah, the it was kind supposed of, to be like a very slow. I still think it works because it leads into those. Yeah. It leads oh no, into... it totally works. I bet the other one's very uncomfortable to watch. Right. I My understanding of... was it like lingers on her guts because and... she's like, yeah, like. <laughs> What's funny is on the VHS, it was always tough to see because the VHS. Maybe it was just my TV. No, I never. I was always like, what is going on there? Yeah, what but is... in DVD, it's in Blu-ray. It's clear, like it's yeah. her guts hanging out. Yeah. All over. it's pretty gnarly. Um. But yeah, that quick zoom in to her was never supposed to be like that. Yeah. It was just West. He took out frames of it. To, yeah, my understanding, and I I don't remember where I heard this or who I heard it from. It was on a, some sort of documentary or interview. Was that the original plan for that bit where it kind of flies in towards her body? Right? Was that it was literally just supposed to be a, a slow crawl? Right. And the only thing you'd hear were like the sirens and the parents screaming and crying and stuff. <laughs> Which would have been like that stuff whoa, is so brutal too. Yeah, it's hard. That hard. That her death is really hard to watch, actually. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, All right, it's we, very effective. Now the movie property. You think we're good? Think we've done a good job with Scream? 
Yeah, man. I think we've done it, Justin. Yeah. I think this is, um, if you're debating, just skip the uh, the class of 1996, the first one we did, listen to the other movies we talked about. I think we've done a better job yeah, on yeah, this yeah. one. Yeah, we've definitely gone more in depth. Yeah, I, I love Scream, man. Me I can too. talk about Scream all day. Yeah, me too. I'm ex- so good. I'm excited to check out the sequels because I have not seen them in a while. Has it been a while? Yeah, I don't know when I the last time I watched them two, was. Two is the one I revisit more because I think it's Two was on TV a lot. I think it's the best as well. Of the sequels? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's a very good sequel. Yeah, so right now, and I haven't rewatched uh, the sequels yet. I will be. Um, but I think if I had to rank them, I'm curious to see how this winds up, but if I had to rank them right now, at this exact moment, it'd be two, four, three. Okay. I think I I think I go in order, but yeah. I, I, three and four, it's been so long. Yeah. That I can't, and I may just have uh, Jan Silent Bob bias. Because I know they're in three. Yeah, that's true. And they're not in four, if I recall. They're not in four. Anthony Anderson's in four, though. Love Anthony Anderson. We are finally going to talk a little bit of Scream 2. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys. If you've been waiting, I hope the payoff is worth it. Released one year after Scream 1, December 12th, 1997. That's insane to me. I cannot believe when I saw that. I can't believe it. <laughs> they filmed the, well. They filmed it a little bit early. Like, they had it in the can for a little bit, yeah. right? And so I think that was part of the thing. They held it off for uh, box office reasons in 96. Two Williamson years- had, he pretty much knew where he wanted to go with a sequel at this point. Like that, that he was His claim was that he had always planned out. A couple movies. Yes. Yeah. Two years after the first series of murders, as Sydney acclimates to college life, someone donning the ghost face costume begins a new string of killings directed by Wes Craven, written by Kevin Williamson, starring Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette. Those are the main three. There are a bunch of other people who we will talk about later. Your thoughts, general thoughts on Scream 2, the sequel. Scream 2, I think, is one of the great horror sequels of all time. I truly believe that. Do I think it's as good as the first? No. And I think the longer time goes by, the the harder it is to even put it up on that pedestal with the first, because that first is just time. It's it's like Lost Boys, right? It's timeless, but it's also kind of a beautiful time capsule. <laughs> um, but two is still really one of the great horror sequels, and certainly one of the great slasher sequels. I put it right up there with like a Halloween two, um, maybe even better, to be honest with you, or even Friday the Thirteenth two, or or better. Um, it's it might be the best slasher sequel of all time, actually. Now that I'm thinking about it. The best second, because I think Dream Warriors is the a, only is still better. argument I make, and it's because I just watched it on Friday night. Hellraiser two, Hellraiser two is pretty great. <laughs> um, Hellraiser two is almost too big for its own good sometimes. Okay, that's the only knock I'll give Hellraiser two, and I, that's not necessarily even a. I will say I prefer Scream two, but if I were going to make an argument for it's like, up there, yeah, and I do like TCM too, but that's like a acquired taste. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's its own beast. Um, but no, Scream 2 really is one of the great horror sequels, I think. Um, still, um, I think that its strengths are in its continued use and development of our surviving characters from Scream 1. And I think that's what would keep people coming back to the series as it moved on. Um, I think its weaknesses are in its reliance on being a whodunit. Okay. I don't think we really, and I think we talked about this last time around, 
the marketing campaign didn't really catch up with the fact that people were super driven to find out who did it more than they are to care about the characters until the third movie. But I think this movie already were hitting that point of people were going and seeing these movies to find out who's behind the mask. And I think... I think your mileage might vary on the reveal. And I think spoilers from this point forward for Scream 2. I will not spoil Scream 3 or 4, but I will spoil Scream 2 at this point. I think the Debbie Salt thing works. I think it works in a meta context, and I think it works in a the plot of the Scream series context. From a meta standpoint, it works as an inversion on the Mrs. Voorhees thing, right? Uh, it's referenced in the first film, who's the killer on Friday the 13th? No, it's Jason's mother. Well, it's fun because they're able to twist that, right? And have the mother be getting revenge for the death of the son, which is the reverse, Um, which is neat. And it's very scream to do that. However, I feel like, and I think, and I'll talk about this briefly, this is the first movie, major studio movie, that got spoiled on the internet. Yeah, I've, yeah. The script got that leaked. marked. Yep. The script leaked. Um, and the original killers in this movie were supposed to be three. There were three killers, which totally makes sense for a sequel, right? You up the ante, so you up it from two to three. And it was going to be Debbie Salt slash uh, um, Mrs. Loomis, or Miss Loomis, whatever. And then it was going to be the boyfriend, Derek, the Jerry O'Connell character, and the friend, Haley, I believe is her name, uh, Nev Can- or Cindy's friend. And you can see that when you know that. I, at the time, watching the movie, I was totally... I was like, okay, it's, it's Mickey and Debbie Salt, and I think it still works. But if you know that and you watch it again, I think you can see some of the holes in it that you don't see in that first movie. I, um, first of all, that Haley character, right, is almost pointless in this movie. Like, she does nothing. Okay, so... Right? Like, 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 like I, I, I don't... I. I feel like that's a character who had a purpose in the original version of the script who is just kind of in this to add to the body count. I think there are other reasons too. So here's what I wanted to do for yeah, this yeah, movie. Sure. I wanted I've I should have read this by in, so this is by fault. I have oh, you're good. I have picked out like four or five scenes that I want to kind of do. Let's do it. I want to kind of do a deep dive on. Let's do it. Because we will touch on the finale and we are definitely going to touch on her friend. I love uh, that. Let's yeah, do that. Haley. So I will just say real quick, I'm in the same boat as you. I think the problem with the killer reveal in this one is it's re- it's a little bit ridiculous. Yes. But it almost works for me in that sequel way of, okay, well, in the sequel, the slasher is kind of a little bit more ridiculous. Like, Halloween 2, yeah, yeah is, is a little sure. bit, he's a little bit more over. I mean, he's surviving getting shot in the eyeballs <laughs> in Halloween 2. <laughs> yes. So, like, yes, he is. So it works in that weird way. It does. I think it does what a sequel should do, which is progress the story from the original follow a lot of the same beats but in that screenway like you said it comments on a lot of the original too sure. but it also opens up the main character's world in a lot of interesting ways i think the the expansion of the very i mean it's not even a cameo it's a it, it's it's an, a second of screen time the cotton weary character the expansion of that character i think is an interesting open right. world world building thing and then obviously the w salt reveal i think is hugely world building to yes this. Yeah. so let's start with the opening scene though because you and i had a quick conversation about this off mm-hmm. air it's almost as good as the original it opening. is isn't it? <laughs> yeah. it's really great here's this um did you know jada uh jada pinkett smith i guess 
is her official name, right? Um, she yep. was in a metal band in like yes. the late 2000s. Yeah. You know her favorite metal band? I do not. Uh, Lamb of God. Yeah, she's kind of a badass. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big Jada Pinkett fan. Um, I, yeah. I like her better than her. I like her husband, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, the, this opening sequence, dude, it kicks ass still. Um, mm-hmm. And once again, it ups the ante, right, mm-hmm. from the first movie. Um, and on top of that, it's delving even deeper into the meta the meta thing that Scream does so well with yes. Stab being a thing now. Um, I love that it it fully embraces some of the stuff that gets mentioned in the first movie and, and it's it's just it's fun. Um, and we see black people <laughs> okay. in the Scream movies, which is kind of nice. Um, I can We'll dive of, into that a little bit. I can kind of forgive the first one. Yeah, I think we talked a little bit about that last time where like the first one because of where they are, it's a, it's a, it's kind of an upper crust, well, it seems like an upper class white high school, right? Yes. And primarily white high school and and an upper class waspy group of friends that's hanging out. Yes. And like in many ways when you go to college, you expand your uh your circle hopefully. And you meet people from different cultures or different races and stuff like that. So it makes sense. It's just funny because it's like it's 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 our fr- it's our first African American characters. In it, no, I don't. Series. I don't think there was even an extra like no, a black extra. No, I, think it was I don't remember the a black one. person in Scream. So so it's kind of cool. And, but then they <laughs> killed immediately. However, there's there's some fun stuff later on. I think that. that so I'm going to defend the opening in that aspect. Okay. No, I don't think it's a bad thing. No, I want I want to state that I don't. I Be, think some people have a problem with it though. But I also want to say too, like it's. I think it's I think it's where it shoots itself in the foot a little bit too when it comes to the race aspect later on. So sure. they explicitly talk about the two characters talk about race yes, in this do. movie. So that's why I think it's important to the film itself. And it's it's interesting the way they do it. And I think it's actually handled in a very intriguing way. So they're talking about they make sure to mention how little representation there are of black yeah. people in horror. Right. And one of the things I think we've commented on this in the past is horror can be a very progressive genre in terms of uh, like women, for example. I don't in terms necess- of gender? In terms of Absolutely. Yeah, I yeah. don't necessarily think it has been until maybe recently in terms of particularly with black creative side of things. I th- so here's the thing. I think that yes, yeah, certainly in a create from a creative standpoint I don't think it's done right. a great job. But 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 I will say this. The the one the the gems that are out there in horror, the ones that do have something to say not even they don't necessarily have anything to say. Um movies like Night of the Living Dead, right? Right. I don't think there's there's a much stronger representation of a strong black character. Than, than Ben and Night of the Living Dead. I think he's... That's what's... So this... so this great, right? This... Like, yeah, what's amazing about... I'm glad you brought up Night of the Living Dead because what's amazing about this opening sequence and where I think it works is it feels much like the first movie. It's not an opening scene. It's like an opening mini-movie. It like is. it's got a first it act, is. a second act, it and does. a third act, and it has something to say. And I'm glad you brought up Night of the Living Dead because it kind of reminds me of that it totally movie. does. <laughs> and real quick, before you move on, I want to mention uh, another one that always comes to my mind is uh, Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight. Demon Knight, yeah. Which starred Jada Pinkett, Jada Pinkett yeah. Smith as a very strong female black lead who who just was a great character in that movie. Was that Ernest Dickerson that did that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. So. Anyway, continue. I Well, no, but what I wanted to say is, so it leans into what I, as far as the 
racial aspect of it, it leans into certain stereotypes with Jada Pinkett's character. Yes, it does. It plays up kind of the... I, I'm trying to... How do I put this? The sassy black. Yeah, it does. Well, yeah. And, and it leans into that, and it does it on purpose, too. And I think what it's trying to do, at least... and. What happens is it's trying to say, okay, it bring, makes up, it makes sure to bring up movies explicitly, makes sure, sure to bring up black people in movie horror movies explicitly. And then what it's doing is it's a black person watching a white actress on screen. So it's setting up these two worlds, the real world and yeah. the movie world. Right. And these people that are there are in the audience to see these representations of these actual people that get killed yes so they're watching the scene from the first screen right but with heather graham and the yes and when we see those when we see that movie later on it's watered down to a point where um what's his name is it luke wilson it's playing a stereotypical like jock like they have taken the actual person of Billy, Billy, who is not a joke, who is not even a, a cool kid, and just like made him into this weird kind of goofy, like uh, like like kind of doofus. But that's exactly what they would do, right? That's exactly what they would yeah. do. They have they have dumbed a character down, and so when she, when Jada Pickett Smith is talking like that, and then I think when they kind of play up certain aspects of her character, it plants like it's planted in my mind a lot of the stereotypes that we have seen in movies throughout the years, negative in a lot of ways. Yeah, and so. When she gets murdered... Which is horrifying. She says in this People Magazine interview, I, I said to Wes at the time, I want to die the most horrific death that has ever happened in a horror film. I don't know if it's quite there, but she says, I want it to be long and excruciating. And he's like, cool. And it is. So, yeah, so she is... It's long, and she goes up to the front of the theater, and there's a shot, and it, it's a shot through her perspective mm-hmm. out in the crowd of, I believe, mostly white faces. <laughs> continue yeah and you have the white actress heather graham behind her who is playing sit uh, um drew barrymore's character yeah but it's it's a white actress on screen and she's about to die and she is actually bleeding out and dying in front of these people and then you see that white ghost face mask and i don't think the ghost face thing is necessarily a racial thing with it being white no. i think what's going on here or this is how i read it this is my reading into it too is like it brings up particularly when it comes to black and white it brings up all of these differences and it brings up all these things. And then it flashes that scream thing. And it basically scream is like the ultimate representation of, Hey, guess what? You're all the same. You're all going to die. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> oh, which is fantastic. Yeah. But there's definitely something, there's something there from a, I think from a, I think Williamson's too smart of a writer to not recognize that there's something there in regards to a group of white faces watching a black woman die and doing nothing about it and just kind of going, eh, and that's yeah, and that's like, like, yes, and and that's kind of what I mean too about that's why I brought up the stereotype thing too is because it's it's them actually it's them seeing an actual person die. Yes. It's like it's this person. She's yeah. not. She's not that. Right. So I think it's really smart. I also like the opening scene because in a depressing way, it's like giving the characters in the first movie kind of what they want. Sure. Like it's so it's lived on, and it's like Sydney knows. Like they're making oh billions about. do one yeah billions do win and it's depressing as yeah. hell like yep. and throughout the movie it kind of feels like that too it, it's a sad movie in a lot of ways right um, it's got a lot of humor too but I think one of the scenes you'll want to talk about is one where you really get jolted into going oh man this is not a safe place <laughs> yeah so 
I don't. I think. Are you good on the opening scene? Okay, I, yeah, it's 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 incredible. Yeah, I think it's really well um, done. It was spoofed in in Scary Movie One, I think. Or yes. two, very funny, yeah. um, very funny with Sean Wayans and the penis coming through the. That was kind of funny. That's the only other thing I guess I wanted to bring up is um, the death of the boyfriend. Who's that actor? Uh, that is Omar Epps. Omar Epps. Yep. Um, the death of the boyfriend. That's what I mean by when they play up a little bit of the overpowering aspect of because you can't. I, I mean. Maybe I don't know which one of them is stabbing through a bathroom door. So, so here's the, here, and we talked about this last time around with, with Scream One. There, it's very, very, very discernible if you really pay attention to Scream One. You know who's on the phone, which killer's on the phone, and which one's doing the killing. Yeah, because there's always yes. one or the other, and 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 it's been broken down by people much more obsessed with the first film than I am. But it's very obvious. The second movie has some muddiness to it. In regards to who's actually doing what, but the most common theories or uh, speculation is that Mickey's pretty much doing all of the killing, minus one that's coming up. But Mickey does yes pretty much all. There's the killing one big one. yeah you're right. There's yep. one that is a hundred percent done by Miss by by Debbie Salt. And that one she straight up takes credit for. And it makes sense, if you really think about it, in the context of the movie, it does make sense. We'll get to that. But but this this is Mickey doing this. I'm, right. I'm, I, I, think, I think that Debbie Salt's Debbie Salt is in the background most of the movie. And that makes sense. And I'm cool with that. So The, yeah, so, yeah, we'll talk about the... the so I guess he could <laughs> put that knife through it if he wanted to, but I don't know. <laughs> Mickey ate that. Sir. So let's talk about Mickey a little bit. Let's talk about the next thing I want to talk about, which is the uh, the film class, uh, the film studies class. Okay. It's cringy, right? It's cringy. Okay, so it is cringy. Uh, more, I had a I had like a poll quote for you know Outlaw Vern, the movie reviewer, yes, blogger. He like hates the scene. He hates Randy. Uh, I love Randy. Yes, in the first movie, uh, Randy's kind of an ass in this movie. But he's still enough Randy to where I still like him. Yeah, he he calls him out for being a a, a fake geek, which I don't agree with. But no, 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 no. Randy's a young geek. But the question I wanted to ask you though is this conversation that they have in this movie film class is this not every online conversation you had in the two thousands? Okay, yes. <laughs> and and in Randy's defense, can I just say something? Randy knows who Argento is. Randy knows who Fulci is, right? Randy knows these people. He's not, he, he's not fake. He's he not a fake flexes geek. a little bit later on in the movie. He with does. Some of this. Yeah. He does. Mm-hmm. But Randy also knows that he's in a room full of people who, mo- for the most part, are taking this as an elective class. Okay? Because let's be honest, they are. Film studies? Not everybody's going into film. Oh, um, one of the characters, Mickey, is just there to, like, I think, argue against film violence. He's there to set up his motive. <laughs> 100%. Sarah Michelle Gellar's character, Cece, doesn't, uh, maybe I'm being stereotypical, does not You are wrong. As, You're wrong, though. Do you know what no? she's watching later on? What is she When she, she gets killed? She's watching Nosferatu later well, on. Well, okay, so, so <laughs> you know what? I take it back. So she, she is. is. <laughs> but but the, the th- my point is, Randy is picking... Arguing about movies. Okay, fine. Joshua Jackson's character. That guy's not a fucking film major. Fuck that guy. Um, what is Joshua Jackson's main line in this? This is a funny like WB cameo. I don't. It's really weird that he's in this movie, right? Yeah. Uh, Matthew Lillard's in this movie, by the way. He's in the background of the kegger, right? Yeah. Yep. You can, it's it's definitely. He's got blue hair though. Um, but I oh got what is this? They're arguing about James Cameron. 
but to be fair, even if you're a film nerd, right, and even if you're into this stuff and you're hardcore and you know your you know your oddball directors, if you've seen you've seen Burial Ground, right, you know, like mm-hmm. you, you've delved deep, which Randy has, he right. has, I believe he has. You're not going to argue those right out of the gate with people because here's the thing: you're not going to talk to Josh Jackson about Burial, burial Ground. <laughs> you're going to bring up Terminator. So just calm down. Everyone, I know. I, I think this this was this. I do want to give. I, 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 I brought it up. I, I take back what I said about Cece, though. She's, she's <laughs> sorry. I, I she's some real. I thought shit. that. I thought that too. And then, like, I was watching, and she gets killed. I'm like, oh, she's like, she she might actually she be into this. Shit. She's into yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. yeah or That's she's good. at least like inspired by uh, her film class to right. like go search out more. So I was super bummed when she died, by the way, because I was huge into Buffy at the time, and I was like, you can't kill. <laughs> I just want to throw that out there. I was yeah. pissed at this movie, and I was pissed at I know what you did that summer. <laughs> yeah, she was uh, she, killed off. Left she was right. on a roll. That um, yeah, but like that's the other thing too is so we're a couple years before the boom of like internet message boards sure. and stuff. But and even now when I look on like Twitter and stuff, it's the same thing or Reddit. Like it's people who get on there, they argue about the same six franchises <laughs> over and over again. No one's arguing about Better Ground versus Zombie. It, and in the late 90s, it was Cameron movies, it was Terminator movies, 100%. it was Star Wars. 100%. <laughs> uh, what are the, it uh, still is. Yeah. It's Star Wars, you would argue maybe Now about, it's Marvel movies. Now it's Marvel movies. It's uh, DC versus Marvel. <laughs> That's all I got. What, what are the big franchises? Marvel's the big franchise at this point. Yeah, the people aren't arguing about it. What's the left. other thing everybody argues about? There's nothing else. That's it, right? No one gives a fuck. Well, about I mean, people Star are still Wars. arguing about Star Wars. Do people care though anymore? Uh, I think we're all past that point, right? People argue. There's about- probably a small subsect of hardcores, but like most people at this juncture have said, like, I don't care about Star Wars anymore. Okay. Right? I don't know. I just see a lot of arguing. Maybe they are. I don't know. I, maybe I avoid it. <laughs> You're right. I, it's sure. mostly it's mostly superhero movies we're arguing about. That's pretty. Much that, it. That's the point. Is, <laughs> but it's pretty slight. Like, this is exactly what those people. This would be is a hundred percent. They're not. You're not going to argue. I don't know. The thing is, though, I don't agree with Randy that the horror genre was destroyed by sequels. No, Randy's a dummy. Like <laughs> I, I love Randy, but I love Randy, but Randy, Randy, he's saying that. I bet you he's saying that to feel cool around those other people because there's an insecurity to Randy. Dude, Randy loves Friday. Randy loves Nightmare on Elm Street too. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. Yes, he knows. Randy's trying to pretend. That like he only likes those first movies because they're the prestige horror movies, and he wants to impress his fellow film nerds. Yep. But when he's home alone, he ain't throwing on one. He's throwing on like part five, part six. Hundred percent, dude. Dude, one hundred percent. You don't think he's sung along with Demon in Friday the Thirteenth Part Five? Yeah, Randy's done it. Yeah. No, Rand. I I like Randy, but Ra- the thing is, Randy is um. In the first movie, once again, he's in a very select kind of waspy. Everybody kind of looks like Randy. Mm-hmm. Now he says has to expand his world a little bit. And when you get Randy around people who aren't necessarily like Randy, he can come off as a little bit. Eh. Yeah, but you know what? But that's fair. Yeah, I don't think he's <laughs> like I, he's not like toxic or anything. He's no, not like a toxic nurse. Because I don't remember him being very condescending towards Sarah Michelle. He's Gell. not. Yeah, yeah. He's not. I think Randy's. If a- anything, she kind of puts him down. Like <laughs> when she's like, seriously, get a hard on for Cameron. You know, like like that's. Yeah. Was it is it him who likes Cameron or is it Jackson? I can't remember now. 
Who, He's got a hard on for Cameron. Who's a bigger fan of Aliens slash Terminator? Well, no, it's um because Mickey's arguing for sequels, right? That's right. Because that's, that's right. that. Yeah, that was the like one main point I wanted to bring up here. So that's the clever part I of this. I love is that Mickey is arguing really hard for like that. sequels yes. and for like <laughs> Mickey's Mickey's kind of awesome in a way because like he is so full of shit. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, he's a piece of shit. Like he, I is... like Mickey. <laughs> Not like I don't like him. Mickey's a like, good villain though because like he does not believe his own bullshit. No, he is there. Mickey's like a dude. I don't know who like latches onto a cause to like promote his own shit. <laughs> like <laughs> we know people like this, Tim. I'm sure there's some names bumping around in your head that we'll never say on this podcast. But we've both met people like this. But Mickey, yeah, because Mickey's whole thing is trying to set up his motive of like blaming movies. Oh, he's a TV. He, he's he a, is. He's he is as dirt. opportunistic as you can. Like like. It, in a weird, bizarre way, Mickey killing people is almost secondary for him to the fact that, like, it's almost not as bad as what he's doing. He's doing it. He's he's, he's Mickey's the worst, but in the in the best way. I have the scene. The okay. So, what do you, what, what scene would you rather talk between these two? The okay, I got three here, but the Randy. I have Randy Dewey. Watching Stab, but we kind of covered that in the yeah, Baskin yeah. Robbins. We can talk about that one too because it does set up that there are, he does make the point that most serial killers are men, and yeah. that's paid off later. Yep. The sorority party scene where that or the cafeteria song scene with Jerry O'Connell. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, the the cafeteria scene's funny. Jerry O'Connell's given it his all. I love Jerry O'Connell. He's he's a he's a lovable actor. Like you look at him and you, how can you not like Jerry O'Connell, right? Jerry O'Connell is okay. So. He is like the what's that what's my man's name from Buffy, uh, the dude from season four. Oh, let's not talk about that guy. No, no, no. He's but you know what I mean though. He's like the follow up boyfriend to the yeah. shitty boyfriend, and that's, the character that's, has in yeah. the first movie. Like you know, he's, he's a, good, a nicer guy, yeah, but you're kind of like this guy kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> right? But he's like, like a good dude, and honestly, he's like for he's the kind of guy Cindy should be with. He's like he's a good, a good dude, but you know that she's never gonna pick that guy. <laughs> Let's be like, 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 like. That's the way you felt in Buffy. That's the way you feel now in, in Scream too. Yeah, you know this is not going to last. Maybe, maybe not at her age, but I think maybe down the road she gives. Sure, Jerry sure. Well, a call I mean, back. we'll talk about Patrick Dempsey at some point. But oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he's in that movie. Um, but O'Connell essentially but, O'Connell is there to set up that Sydney is going for a guy, and rightfully so. That is not going to be like Billy and not just bust into her house. The, he is, he and is not manipulate her into sex. He so is he can, the polar opposite. of Billy. Yes. I mean, he is as he's, he's so vanilla. Yes. And he's really good at playing it. And he knows what he's doing as an actor. He, he knows that's the character he's playing and he's very good at it. Oh, kind of, he was supposed to be one of the killers. Let's just talk about that for a second. Yeah. Okay. This is a character who is supposed to be one of the killers. I'll say this. I, I've never read the leaked script. I've got a, uh, Part of it at, for the end, yeah. Was he written as this this kind of vanilla type character in that script as well, and then just all of a sudden is oh I'm a killer? Kind of. So I've then never read the whole script. I read the ending. There, there's a conflicting stuff about the ending too. I want to go in depth on the ending we'll in get, a little okay, bit, but like we'll with Jerry O'Connell, I'm with you. He's a vanilla character. I think it's on purpose, and I do like yes. him quite a bit. And I like I the scene is <laughs> the scene is interesting too, though. Because it's so earnest and so heartfelt, yep. his song, it's great. Because it, it, 
looking back, knowing that he's not the killer, like it's him giving it's his thing. Beautiful. Yeah, he's yeah. gonna get beat up for yeah. it, and it's kind of beautiful because her other boyfriends would never do something like no. that. No, they would never make an ass out of themselves. But the other thing I found funny too, and this is just the times we live in. It's this is how easy it is sometimes. I think that we just forgive, forgive men, maybe. Like, she thought he was going to kill him, kill her last night. And all he has to do is stand on the table and sing. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Um, that's <laughs> and fair. All is forget. Can I just say his death is really mean? It's so mean. Like, literally, it's just like he gets shot and he's dead and that's it. Like, yeah. there's no chase. There's yeah. no... It's really mean. Um, no, I just, I brought that up mostly as a joke, but I just, no, I, I laughed wrong. knowing now. Like You're oh. not wrong. <laughs> Um, and I can see if you, like I said, once again, if you know what the the script looked like before it got leaked, you can see how he wound up being the killer in that old script. If you really pay attention and watch it, you go, okay, I, yeah. see, I see how Williamson had to change some things to make him. And I'm not sure, honestly, I'm not sure I like, like, it's okay. I just, I'm not sure how much I like that, just because I do kind of like that Jerry O'Connell is like a good dude in this no, movie. No, me, me too, me too. Honestly, I think, I think the script, that script leaking is... Yes, can I, now that I know that, can I see some of the holes in the in the movie in Scream Two? Yes, especially when it comes to character development of her friend. Yes. Yeah. However, do I think that that was a blessing in disguise, and they wound up with a better reveal than they would have had? Hundred percent. So I'll say that the stab movie in the cafeteria scene I do want to mention is hilarious. Yeah, it's really, <laughs> it's it's really cool. good. All right, this is the big one though. Uh, Randy's death scene, dude. I. I will never forget I've forgiven and <laughs> I never thought I would forgive for a long time. I will never, ever, ever, ever forget the impact that this scene had on me. Because I I dude, I had seen plenty of slasher movies. I knew what it was like that, you know, if somebody survives the first movie and they get brought back in the sequel, they're dead in the opening sequence of the sequel. But Scream was different. Because Scream knew, in Scream, horror movies existed. And Randy was the guy, if anybody was going to make it through this thing, it was Randy. And then he gets off. I mean, he's the first of our returning cast to get off. And really, the first of that original series to get off, you know, obviously, uh, we, we think maybe Dewey almost dies in this movie. And that's a, yeah. that's a rough scene, too. Uh, uh, yeah, I remember being in the theater for the be, Dewey, I was for Dewey, yeah, and like when Dewey returns. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was so relieved. Anyway, but killing Randy, looking back now, I was so angry, dude. I was so pissed off. I'm like, he would never, ever, 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 ever put himself in that position. He's Randy. He would never back up into that van like a dumbass and not pay attention to his surroundings. I hate this movie. Fuck this scene. I was so angry at it. And looking back now... It's exactly what he would do. Yeah. He's so caught up in his own bravado and he's so caught up in thinking he knows he's hot shit and he's the one guy who's going to get through this that he would make the dumbass mistake that anybody else should see coming and he would put himself in that position. And that's this is the one person that Debbie Salt kills. This is the one person in my in my worldview, this is the one person in the ghost face costume that she kills. She's on the phone with him. And generally, the way that Ghostface works is one killer's on the phone and one killer is doing the physical killing, right? That's how they make it work. That's how they are able to balance the two things and yeah. play this game of cat and mouse. This time, it's her doing all of it. She was never supposed to jump out and kill Randy right there. She literally couldn't help herself when she saw the opportunity. That's it. 
That's all there is to it. She mentions later on, I got knife happy. Yeah. That she, I don't think she ever intended to kill a single human being. I'm going to, except for Sydney. Can I read off this passage from yeah, the, the book? Ahead. I bet it's, this is from well, Scream Deconstructed, the yep. book, because um, it points out to a lot of what you're talking about. So of all the killers in the series, Mrs. Lewis seems the least versed in the conventions of the slasher film. It's never mentioned that she cares at all about them, other than the fact that she wants to continue the murders that her son started. It's fitting then that in the sequel, she tries to produce a, what turns out to be a formula sequel, one that tries to reproduce the success of the first story by repeating the same beats. So they go, that's that scene. That was the reason I was talking about the cafeteria scene because they go through and show you that like Maureen Evans for Maureen Prescott, Phil Stevens for Stephen Orff, C.C. Cooper for Casey Becker. Um, this is, but this is like the most important scene in the movie because the pattern gets broken when the victim afterward is Randy, who by insulting the name of her son to her over the phone has enraged Mrs. Loomis into killing him out of sequence. The formula having been broken, the movie goes forward on a more unpredictable note. And that it's a and that is why I appreciate this scene so much. Yeah. That and the obvious of if Randy can die, Dewey can die, Gal can die, Sydney can die, anybody can die, anything can happen. It changes the game. And it comes to, because the, he sets up the sequel, the horror movie sequels, which is you have to have a bigger body count. And what's weird is after that first scene and then Cece, there's not much. Like it's a 30 minute kind of lull before the scene. And then, yeah, you're right. But that's that's what makes the impact a little bit, a little bit more is that it hits you harder because like now all bets are off. Like they and killed Randy. Works. They it killed works. Randy. Yeah, it works. And I, 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 I at the time, I, I still liked Scream Two at the time. But I, I, that scene always, I was so. I mean, up until really, I don't know, five six years ago, I was like angry. That always scene always pissed me off. I was like, what the fuck? Like, right. He first of all, he wouldn't do that. You know, okay, these goofballs walk by with a boombox and just happen to be walking. Like, yeah, that's still silly. But, but you get my point. Like. <laughs> I, I just I never They're playing the Cottonmouth Kings if I recall yeah. yeah I never bought it I was always angry about that and uh, now I totally get it and it makes total sense I believe that was always in the script that was never Randy was always going to bite it and I think that that's really smart on Williamson's part and of course I miss Randy I still think he's a fun character and he's a great character but but it makes a lot of sense well because does, let's yeah. be honest you and I wouldn't make it to the horror movie. No. We've uh, seen a lot of them. Yeah. But you and I would not make it to the horror movie. So. <laughs> and killing the guy that knows the rules means all rules are off. Exactly. They're all thrown out the window. Yep. And like we said a little earlier, it's finally a chance for Randy to flex and show that he knows some horror movie deep yeah. cuts. <laughs> yeah, because uh, Dorm the Drip Blood he brings up. Um, it's... What it's else a, does he bring up? He brings up... Uh, uh, final exam. Final exam. <laughs> yeah. So he knows his shit. Yeah. See, because now he knows he's talking to... A, he's, he's talking to a peer now. Right. In his mind. Um, even if Cece, Senator Michelle Garrett's character, has seen things like Final Exam and stuff, he doesn't th- think that she has. Right. Like he's not. But now he knows. He's he's. Even what's funny though is he's not because. <laughs> Mrs. Lewis, <laughs> Lewis has seen no shit. Mrs. Mrs. Lewis is actually okay. We're about to jump into the ending. The only other thing I wanted to say is, um, so he this is the line where he calls um. Was it Stuart Billy? I can't remember right now. Uh, a homo repressed mama's yeah. boy. So, which is, uh, which is, and it's like, and it sends her over the edge. But it's also true. <laughs> yeah, and it's also. It's true. But I think this is where we were talking a lot of that subtext in the first movie. Like it's there, but I think it's too that like, like Williamson seems to know it's there too. Yep, and he is like. 
Randy's like a stand-in for like critics at this point or like movie analyzers too. People who maybe like think too much or something. I yeah. don't know. So it's an interesting it's an in- interesting line to throw in. And he also has a good OJ joke in there. Yeah, that's true. Man- it's Manson Bundy OJ. <laughs> it's great. That's great, isn't it? Is there any other scene? Because there are two big we ones. Should, we should mention uh, the cameraman leaving though because we've talked a little bit about race in the movie. And Let's do this. Okay. Before we get into the finale. And we'll tie that into the... Um, death of her friend, Cindy's friend. Uh, yeah, Haley. Yeah. Haley, thank you. Um, he's great, first of all. This is Dwayne uh, Martin, I believe, star of Above the Rim, which was on TNT after every basketball game in the 90s. <laughs> solid actor. <laughs> yes. Always enjoyed him, everything I've seen him in. Um, fun character, because my understanding is, and I don't know this to be sure, but apparently he was supposed to die in the original script, and he goes, like, no, I would leave. Right. Supposedly, I don't know how much truth there is to it. I've not read either the finished script or the the, the script that was leaked. But uh, supposedly, he brought that up to to Craven, and Craven's like, "Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Fair enough." And so he leaves. Yeah. Does he come back? You know, he comes no, he at doesn't. the very end. Oh, does he? I, doesn't he come back at the very end to help Gail? That's the news right. report. Yeah, yeah, that's right. which might be a little silly, but so okay. Is that right? Am I right? He, he helps, does show up at the very end, right? He helps yes, he does. Yeah. <laughs> but him leaving is really funny. First uh, yeah. of all, it's funny. Let's be. It's hilarious. Like, like it's amazing. Like, like good for him. And he plays Everybody in, in the audience is like, get the fuck. Like, and it knowingly plays into the black person gets killed at a horror movie. Yes, it does that. <laughs> yes, in a movie where we've already witnessed the black people get right. killed first, it does that. But it also, it also does something that all of us in the audience are like, just fucking go. Why are you sticking around? Leave. And we're talking, we're saying this to all the kids. Uh, Randy, uh, Gail, Dewey, sit, just fucking go. Like, why, why are you sticking around? Like, clearly there's somebody on this campus trying to just leave the campus. Yeah. This is dumb. What are we doing? And he's like, I'm, I'm leaving. And he, and he leaves. He leaves the movie. Yes. <laughs> Does nothing until the, like, the, la- the closing minutes. It's amazing. So the thing I, I want to say, though, about it, it's more a Haley problem for me, though. Sure. So if you're going to bring up race like they do in the first scene, and I think they handle it. I think we've go- dived into why I think they handle it well. What they're doing here, too, is with these two characters, they're introducing black people to the Scream universe, basically, is what they're doing. Welcome. Yes. They're saying, yes, welcome. Welcome, black people. And they're trying to do it, and I think it's well-intentioned, but they're trying to do it in a way where they're they're just characters. They're sure. just yeah, yeah, yeah. people. They're just people in the movie. There's regular people in the and movie. And I, I dig that approach, yeah. because if you if you go back to, we've mentioned Night of the Living Dead, right? Right. If you go back to Romero's quotes about Night of the Living Dead, that was never written as a black character. Right. They just cast the best actor for that role. And I think it shows in that movie, right? right? It adds some subtext looking at it now, but I think you're right. I think that's that was the goal is to cast cast black people and just like a best friend role or and make a them characters in the movie, right? Now the issue with these two characters is is one of them will just leave, which is fine. Haley is so underwritten, and if it's because they changed, I forgive it a little bit is because they changed the. Um, she was one of the killers. She was one of the killers. Right. She mentions that they have a. Um, natural born killers like a relationship yes. her and Derek have a relationship yep. the issue though is these two black characters are only there to help the white characters yes <laughs> that is a problem um, yeah. Haley gets killed because she's trying to help Sydney 
and Ailey's prob- a problematic character to me. It is, and it's. Um, I don't think it's. I don't think it's done out of malice. No, I think no, it's no, just no, no, done. No, 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 but no. this is. I think they cast they cast a black actress because they're like we, need, we. Quite frankly, we need more black people in this movie, right? Um, and I think that's a noble. I think that's a noble intention to have. And I, and honestly, if they wouldn't have like like I said, if they wouldn't have explicitly brought up race as something in that first act, it might not be as big of a. Problem. It might not be a big issue, but the problem is they do that. And then later on, they kind of just go the same route that a lot of other horror movies go, or a lot of other movies go, yeah. which is just making the black character surface the white character. The sacrificial yep. lamb. Yep. yep. <laughs> that, that character sucks. Uh, uh, I like the actress. Yep. I don't even hate the character. She's fine. But she serves zero purpose in this movie. Right. And quite frankly, I love Williamson, and he's one of the great writers of this of this era, for sure, no question. But this is a flub on his part because that Haley character didn't even need to be in the movie. No, and this is in <laughs> like like, yeah. like 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 once once she was not a killer anymore, once the script had to be rewritten and things had to be altered, that character needed to be written out of the script. I don't think Sydney needs a best friend. I don't think Sydney even makes a lot of sense for Sydney to have a friend at this no, point. No, she's kind of this. She's kind of just there throughout the movie to reinforce yeah, things that we have been told. The only reason that 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 Haley character existed was to have a third act twist in the original script. For right or wrong, that's the only reason that character existed. And I'd argue that's a lot of the reason why the Derek character even existed. I'm not. Yeah. So, I don't necessarily buy that Sydney would have a boyfriend at this point in time. So. That's what I'm saying when I see the wounds of knowing what was. And I'm not saying in this situation, it's not, I don't think what was, what was not created. What, like, I don't think that leak script was any, was better. In fact, I think in a lot of ways, I, I think that that's less fun than Mickey wind up, wind up being the sole accomplice. Right. My problem is once you know it, you can't unknow it, and you start to see some of the seams showing a little bit that you would never see with that first movie. So that that's, no, and I, I love Scream 2, but. I yeah. know. I think she's. I think she's a difficult character to wrap your arms around. Yes. Yep. And especially in the version, the final version of what she is. Yes. All right. Let's talk about the ending. Yeah. Finale. Right. So we get our big finale. This finale is overblown. Let's. This. I love it. It's fantastic, <laughs> and it's the sequel to Scream. So it's it's Scream. Scream's finale upping yeah. the ante. There's people getting shot. People taking off masks. People getting revealed. People faking their deaths. People. It's it's a lot. Um. But it also takes place on a. On a, on There's a college a, theater stage, right? So, yeah. So this is yeah. We didn't talk about her stage play, which is like Cassandra, and she can. This is this is Wes all over, but it's like Cassandra, and she can, she can see her own death, and she. There's nothing she can do about it. Let me read back and forth though. The original, the back and forth between Sydney and Derek, when they. Uh, let me back up here a little bit, actually. So this is taken from a Dread Central interview done with Kevin Williamson a couple years ago around the 20th anniversary of the movie. And he this is why there's some conflict between whether or not the original script was actually the original script. But the script that leaked out to the internet had Elise Derrick as two of the main killers. And he says it was a dummy draft. The studio wanted to keep the plot under wraps. So that's what it says, but it was... He says he wrote several endings, and this was one of them. Um, but the back and forth here between Sydney and Derek goes, Sydney asks why, and Derek says, good question, you took the bait. And Haley says, ever seen Natural Born Killers? Well, Derek and I have this whole Mickey, Mallory, Woody Harrelson, Juliette Lewis thing going on. And Derek says, I don't actually like, I don't like that comparison. 
honey. And to which Haley replies, he hates Oliver Stone. And Derek goes, I find his work overwrought. So, so that's kind of weird. Um, so it's kind of a weird moment between them. I think I prefer the ending that's in the film. The th- so the thing with the stage ending, though, is where it kind of works for me. And this kind of, the stage stuff feels like Wes. So it's set up early in the movie, too. The stage stuff seems where, like, she wants to be an actress. Or she's going out to be an actress. David Warner, of course. David the great War- David Warner. David Warner. Killer in this. <laughs> He's a little lecherous, right, in this? Like, just a tiny bit? Yeah, he feels like a... He kind of feels like a West End, not the lecherous aspect, but the the stage is the battleground of the soul. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> I shouldn't say he's lecherous, but he's got that red herring kind of. There's a slight because right. it's David Warner. There's a slight creepiness. If he him. were, yeah, if he were revealed to be the killer, you buy. You'd it. be like, all right, <laughs> I get it. Sure. But the stage thing almost feels like, especially at the end, it taking place on the stage. It almost feels like Sydney saying, "I want to continue to be an actress, but I damn sure don't want to do it at movies because people won't shut the hell up about movies. If I'm going to be an actress, it's going to be on like a stage." like yeah. a play yeah. no <laughs> like, one's gonna actually know who i am yes <laughs> yeah like i'm yeah. sick of movies i'm sick of yeah. media i'm sick of cotton weary bugging me for interviews like i just love that character though. i i love acting but i don't want to do it like in front of oh, i only want to do it in front of on a stage in front of like yeah. a select I, audience I, I love that <laughs> so i anyway. love that and and it ties into kind of wes as a creator right because wes wanted to do other stuff yes yeah and he would uh music of the heart i think was after this it was around this yeah. time yeah yeah, yeah. Um, real quick, I do want to say, uh, Cotton Weary had a different, because we just talked about him, Cotton Weary had a totally different yep. role in the original too, and the original ending was really, I think, really stupid. If it was the actual original ending, because like you said, Williamson said, like, oh, that was a dummy draft, which, I don't know. Um, but if I recall correctly, doesn't Cotton Weary shoot Gale, and then him and Sydney shoot each other, and they both die? <laughs> and that's the end of the movie? <laughs> I- there's so, like seven corpses on the stage. Yeah, like Williams, Williamson said in the interview, he, he had like a few drafts rolling around because the studio was trying to throw I believe people it. off. No, yeah. I believe it. So I don't know which is which. It, it was written and is out there. So it's, yeah. it's, it's an ending. Yeah. <laughs> it's so dumb. Um, what else happens in this ending? Um, so, so basically what goes down is... Oh, uh, sorry. Jerry Girl kind of is in Christ post. Yes, and get, gets shot, shot by Ghostface. Shot right in the Christ wound, basically. Right. <laughs> and he dies before we get the reveal of anybody, correct? Right. He. It's weird. Mickey hints at him still being involved and then shoots him anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. Mickey, Mickey's... He's nuts. <laughs> uh, but Mickey, Mickey's revealed. We get the the Debbie Salt reveal as well. Um, Gail gets shot by Debbie Salt. Um, Mickey gets shot by Debbie Salt. Now she's now she's catching up, right? She's She's shooting people left and right. Um, I love her shooting Mickey. By the way, I think that, that totally works. Yeah. Yep. Oh, the Debbie. Yeah, I kind of like Debbie's um motives. Her reveal because yeah. it's it's essentially it's a woman killer that's like she's like I'm gonna blame that man. Well, <laughs> and, she's like, she, and she 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 more or less says like I couldn't have done this all by myself. Right. I couldn't have pulled this all off. I this can't. is a, this is a lot of work. Like <laughs> like so I got a hold of somebody else who is fucking out of their mind. Yeah. And now. Not only did I get them to do all the work for me, yeah. I'm going to kill them. <laughs> she's, she is. Yeah, Debbie's kind of sweet. She's kind of badass. <laughs> like, like, like Debbie Salt. And Lori Metcalf is not holding back. No, I love Lori Metcalf. I, I love her she's from Roseanne. Great. So yeah. I, I, I'm a fan. Um, but she's a that 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 character is kind of a badass. Um, the problem is, the second you start talking shit about her son or her marriage that was destroyed, she kind of loses it, right? Yeah, that's her weakness. That's why she killed Randy. Yes, um, and that's why she winds up getting killed. Very, mis- very Mrs. Voorhees esque. 
Yes, as very well. much so. So anyway, they they have, they have kind of a silly back and forth fight on the stage. There are some props used to incapacitate Mrs. Loomis, and I believe uh, Gail gets the no. I'm sorry, Cotton. I believe gets the initial shot in on Mrs. Loomis, and then Sydney finishes her off. I think. I maybe I'm mixing the two up, but there's a lot of bullets being fired yes. by the end of this movie. Um, but the bottom line is, uh, we think Dewey's dead because really an incredibly tense, brutal scene we haven't talked too much about, and we won't go too deep into it. But that scene is incredible with the two way mirror. I remember thinking, oh, thank you. Fuck, they yeah. killed Dewey. The like, two, I remember just being so bummed yeah. out. Yeah. The two set pieces are that one and the, the car one with Haley are uh, really both well done. fantastic. Yeah. yeah the, that that two way mirror one still gets me, and I know he makes it out. But, um, and I believe, unlike the first movie, that he was always intended to make it out of this movie, I believe. But, but, um, still, I remembered after Randy dies, you're like, fucking Dewey's dead. And it's the music hits and the her reaction to it is brutal. And his it, the whole thing works, but anyway. So Dewey survives, Gail survives, Sydney survives, and uh, Cotton Weary survives. I believe those are the four people really who make it kind of out of the end of the movie. Yeah. Um. So, I, I think it's a fun finale. It's ridiculous. It's over the top, but it's kind of a perfect sequel in that way, right? I that's yeah, I think so too. And it's weird because it. So the ending is her uh, on her own walking yep. out. So it's her, and it's this weird like so. It's odd the. First, the trilogy, if you count it as a trilogy, sure. those first three movies, it feels like what we think of our mind as a trilogy. So the first one is the first one, and then the second one is always kind of a downer, like Empire. Empire and I would say this movie is kind of, this one ends as kind of a downer. It kind of ends as a downer because uh, her f- friends have gotten killed. Her boyfriend is dead again. Again. <laughs> and this one she actually liked. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually a good yeah. dude. Um, and she's walking out. I don't like the music choice because it's, it's like the so, soaring collective it's so corny. it's like it's a triumph Enya, dude it's weird yeah, it's like a triumph oh no no no, no it's no. collective soul this is collective soul yeah. i'm sorry i was thinking of it never mind so it's like this and it's not a triumphant ending because she's on her own now and she's gone through some shit and yeah. it's it's kind of a bummer ending in some yeah. ways they should play some crate <laughs> so uh were there any other characters that we haven't talked about much i'm I, sure there are gail but I, I, uh, gail wears a weird jacket that always looks like a backpack to me it's yeah it's weird um she's she's in the movie her and dewey i i don't i don't find her as interesting in this one i think she's a lot more fun in the third movie this we're talking one, about she, gail yeah this one i just feel like they backpedal on her character development in the first movie right. a little bit to kind of reset where her and dewey are at and then they progress it forward again it's fine. The two of them are fine. They're, at this point, they've become the two kind of fun supporting cast that you're rooting to get together. And they stick through as that way throughout the rest of the series. And I like both of them. I like Courtney Cox. I like David Arquette. I like them together. I like the characters. But there's nothing terribly noteworthy about either one of them in this movie, if I'm being honest. They're kind of there. Right. Yeah, I re- thought I remembered Dewey having a bigger role. Maybe it's really like doesn't. Third one. Yeah, he doesn't. Uh, yeah. Him and Gale have much bigger stuff to do in the throne, mostly because Nev Campbell's like, I ain't shooting more than like three days, <laughs> um, which is really funny. Um, anyway. Yeah, so, I'm interested to rewatch the third one. Get honestly. ready. Okay. You're going to laugh a lot, I think. The only other character I think that we haven't talked about much is Cotton Weary. I he, like Cotton Weary. I do too. He's. I forgot how uh, kind of like creepy and awkward Shriver plays him in this one. Like that first meeting, like where she, he like comes out of nowhere at the cafeteria and it's yep. like, eh. he's, <laughs> he's very like, uncomfortable, but he feels real, doesn't he? It, it's it's different than I thought because for whatever reason, when I see Lee of Shriver, I always think like he's like a. I always think of his character from Goon or like he's like a tough guy. Yeah. Like for whatever yeah. reason, I think or like Ray Donovan, like he's. But like he's a, kind of 
I don't know. But he's like he plays Cotton Weary is kind of like a like a I'm, what's the what's the word? But just kind of awkward and weird. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah he's super neurotic seeming. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like to a point where you're uncomfortable a little bit being around him. Yes. Um, he's not what you anticipate because the way that Cotton Weary is set up in the first movie too, he almost seems like a classic Liev Schreiber like biker type you know bad guy in the bar fights kind of guy and I don't think that's what Cotton Weary is. I think he was. I don't know. It, I I like the Cotton Weary character. I like where he winds up. I love the decision he makes at the end. Yes. To side with. And I like that it's not a really a redeeming decision no. either. It's like he wants the, he wants the, uh, Diane Sawyer. Interview. No, and, and I, <laughs> but I also think that he, I don't, I don't think he would have killed Sydney if he thought it would get him the interview either. I don't think he's a bad person. I think he is. No, that's not true either. I don't think he's a murderer. I don't think he's that level. I think he's an opportunist and I think he feels like the world owes him something because of what happened to him. Yes. And I, I don't think he was a great guy to begin with. Um, I just think, I think that in that moment he knows he makes the right decision and he's hoping that maybe the chips will fall on his, and they do, you know I mean? Yeah. Well, things work out for old Cotton. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and Cotton will be back. I think that's it. I don't think we need to talk about CC much. Nah. She's I, I like Sarah Michelle Geller. I like the character. Um, the sequence, the chase sequence is good. Yeah. So, yeah. It feels very Drew Barrymore in the first movie to me. And I guess they did add some depth to her. Um, yeah. Okay. So, any final thoughts? No, Scream, Scream 2 is a really solid sequel. Yeah, I sequel. think so, too. Um, I enjoy it. I do think it its weaknesses show more today, certainly, than they did at the time of release. Um, and that's not that's okay. That's fine. It's a sequel. Um, you anticipate that. I think it's the strongest of the Scream sequels, certainly, and one of the strongest slasher or horror movie sequels out there. And if you have not seen it for whatever reason, I think it's worth checking out. Sorry if we spoil it for you. Um, and if you don't like it, revisit it. Mm-hmm. I'd say if you don't like three, you know what? No, revisit that too. I say revisit all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have not watched three yet. I'm excited to rewatch. I'm it. excited for you to rewatch three. I remember there are part like I remember there being some. Re- We'll see next week or next episode. There, I remember there parts being really funny. Like I, I remember Parker Posey being hilarious. The comedy in my here's my opinion on Screen Three at this exact moment. We'll see how I feel once I watch it again. Yeah. The comedy lands better than it did when it came out. The horror and the stuff that fell flat when it came out feels worse. <laughs> so there you go. We finally made it to Scream 3. Yes. We recorded a bonus episode before this, so we've been talking about not Scream 3 for like an hour and a half. I forgot about what Scream 3, the plot of Scream 3. So, <laughs> so well, uh, We've got some stuff to say, so... All right. Released on February 4th, 2000 in the U- United States. While Sydney and her friends visit the Hollywood, stab, Hollywood set of Stab 3, the third film based on the Woodsboro murders, another ghost face killer rises to terrorize them. I like how that's phrased. Uh, directed by Wes Craven, based on characters by Kevin Williamson, Screenplay by Aaron Kruger. So, Aaron Kruger. Um, some a little bit of a little bit of a in joke. Kind of some irony here is uh, last name Kruger doing a Wes Craven movie. Um, but he is on board for the first time and not the last time, I believe, because I believe he has a hand in four. Right? He does. Yes. Yeah. Um, he Aaron Kruger's kind of. It seems like he's a guy that you call in if you need somebody to step in and either fix something 
or take over. I'm looking or, at his. I believe he did some work on some of the Transformers uh, movies as well. He did the Ring. He did the Dumbo movies. He did a lot of Transformers movies. Mm-hmm. Arlington Road. He had done right before Scream Three. He okay. did Ghost in the Shell. Yeah, you're right. It looks like he's like, we need to get this done Let's now. Call Eric <laughs> Get him on board. And you know what? He does fine. Yeah. Um, starring David Arquette and F. Campbell of Courtney Cox, of course, amongst a host of others. Will, you got some general thoughts on the third entry in the Scream franchise. Yeah. So Scream, the series, is one of those interesting ones where, uh, and it very much feels like it at the end of Scream 3, this was intended as a trilogy of films when this movie ended, right? This this, this was, you can tell at the end of Scream 3 that they're that they're like, this is it. And I really, truly think they believed that this was it. And if you look at the time gap between Scream 3 and Scream 4, I think that that it it, it was it. It just happens to be one of those weird situations, almost like a Romero Dead trilogy, where he got that rare chance to make another one after the trilogy concluded. So if I'm judging Scream 3 as the conclusion of a trilogy, or a series even, of the story, how do I feel about it? It's a mixed bag. I felt like it was a mixed bag back then, and I feel like it's a mixed bag now. There's no question in my mind going into this Summer of Scream series we're doing. When I went into this, I had gone in with my my educated, because I've seen all these movies multiple times, feelings that Scream 3 was the weakest of the series. Um, not necessarily that it's a bad movie, but it's definitely the weakest in the series. And by a decent margin. I have not rewatched 4 yet because I'm kind of doing them as we go. But I will say certainly of the first three of this initial trilogy, as I'm looking at it, it is, there's no question I was, that I was correct, I think, in that, in that um, early kind of guess as to how I'd feel. Um, I, think it, I think a lot of the issues it suffers from, I think most of the issues it suffers from stem from three factors. And I'm just going to cover them real quick. One, Aaron Kruger. <laughs> um, and I don't even blame Aaron Kruger necessarily. I don't think anybody would have been able to pull off closing this out thing out when you've got such a consistent voice and vibe as Kevin Williamson has. So I don't blame Aaron Kruger. Not saying that there couldn't have been a better person for the job or somebody that could have tonally stuck closer to what Williamson's vibe was and what this the feel of the series was. But my understanding is Aaron Kruger also took Williamson's work and said, I'm not using that. Fuck it. So I don't know if that's true or not. If that's true, then I guess the fault does go to Aaron Kruger. Um, So that's issue number one. Issue number two, quite frankly, is the MPAA and censorship boards. We should mention this is right after Columbine. Uh, And when we talk towards the end of this, we'll talk a little bit about one of the the ideas thrown around for a Scream 3 that I don't know how far it got into pre-production but it was totally essentially canceled by the events of columbine um but they were they they were hounding movies like this and so this movie feels a watered down in terms of its darkness and it's it's um there's a meanness and a nastiness to scream when it needs to be and that's why the scream series is so effective is because when it when it decides that it's going to turn on the tension and the fear and the horror and the pain and the anguish and stuff, it really turns it on. This movie doesn't do that ever. I never feel like anybody's in danger in this movie. It's not Sydney, 
not any of the returning cast. The only people that I feel like are going to die are exactly the people who die. I never felt that way in the first two movies. And I think it's that that is caused because they were not able to replicate that darkness and that, that ability to turn it on. They were hesitant to turn it on because of current events. I also think because of that, they made up for it by boosting up the comedic quality of it. Right. And, uh, I don't think this movie's terribly funny most of the time. <laughs> I think it's really trying. I think it's doing a relatively good job of skewering Hollywood. And I think Wes is having a good time with that. I don't think his audience is having a good, as good, as as good, as good a time as he is, unfortunately. Um, and then number three is, uh, Neff Campbell's availability is an issue. And I'm sorry it is. Sydney's the buoy of these movies. I love Dewey. I love Gale, but those are supporting characters. They're the leads in this movie. Sydney's barely in this movie. Um, Luckily, obviously, she gets to do a lot of important stuff in the movie, and they manage to make her part kind of padded out throughout the story. But there is no question that something's missing because she is not your POV character, really, in this movie. She doesn't feel like your vessel into this story. Dewey and, Ga- Dewey and Gale feel like you're, they're the ones you're following. Sydney just happens to be there. Sydney's like Captain Marvel in uh, uh, Avengers Endgame. Okay. She shows up at the end when it's necessary for her to show up and do something. Uh, otherwise, she's kind of floating around in space. <laughs> um, no, for sure. For the first that's, hour. That's it's- about it. Um, so that's the other issue. So those are the big three issues, I think, that, that really, really affected this movie that, unfortunately, I think were out of everybody's control, uh, certainly once the movie was, was rolling. Um, that being said, I do think there's a lot to like in Scream 3. We'll get into details. Overall, it's definitely the weakest of these first three. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be confident in saying after I watch 4 that it's the weakest of the four films. But I do think it's worth a watch. I do think there's some fun stuff in it. I do think it is a relatively nice closer for the Sydney character. I At the end of the day, I do feel pretty good. I'm going to liken it to another series, Alien 3, right? I do not like Alien 3. It pisses me off to no end. I softened on it over the years, but it pisses me off to no end. However, I will say there's a really it's a really beautiful ending for the Ripley character, right? I kind of feel similarly about Screen 3 in the sense that I don't love the movie. Um, I'm not terribly nuts about it as, as, a, as a concluding part of a trilogy. But in terms of closing off a chapter, or the, or closing off the book, uh, the final chapter for that character we've been following, I think it works okay. So there you go. Tim, gonna, what do you think, man? Um, so I talked too long. I'm sorry. No, you're perfect. No, no, no. That was because you pretty much summed up my thoughts. I've got this quote from Wes... From I've got a couple quotes in here from Wes, but I'm going to read this one first from the Fangoria that was released the month that this movie came out because they had a cover story on Scream 3. But he says, I don't think it's going to be my last genre picture, but I'd like it to be my last film where somebody is chasing somebody else around with a knife. If something like The Sixth Sense came up, I would not mind doing that, but I don't really feel like I want to do much more of this. That kind of sums up Scream 3 to me because the best parts of Scream 3 for me are kind of West skewering Hollywood. I like. I think I like the comedic parts a little bit more than you. Yeah. The stuff with, like he says, the stuff with somebody else chase, chasing somebody around with a knife, Wes can do that in his sleep, and he kind of does in this one. Yeah. Um, Wes, I mean, Wes can direct that anytime, but he's having fun. During, it, it's this, you're right. It's the Sydney stuff and the stuff revolving around the killer that... He just kind of feels it feels arbitrary. He's not interested in it. He's not interested. He's interested in the Hollywood stuff. I also think that six that six cents comment is kind of telling too because I think it's Wes even admitting 
that we're post nineteen ninety nine, so we're post Blair Witch and Sixth Sense. Horror has kind of moved on from Scream. That cycle of urban legend, Scream. Uh, I know what you did last summer. The, the slasher renaissance. That yep. teen slasher renaissance is done, and Scream Three is kind of a. I like it because it's kind of a nice capper in a way. It is. I know. I know. Valentine came after, but but let's be honest. Scream Three feels like a true conclusion to that. Yeah. yeah, it, yeah. And Valentine is kind of like a uh, just a nice reminder that it's always, these movies are always going to be around <laughs> in some form or fashion. But Scream Three, Scream Three feels like the end of that era in a lot of ways, and I think that's nice. But you can tell even Wes is kind of admitting when he says, "If something like the Six Six Sense came up, he's like, it's time to move on." Like it's it's time to move on from the sort of movies. I think I'm with you. The Sydney thing is uh, a huge issue with the movie. I don't blame anybody involved. That stuff happens. It, whatever. It's just that first hour is very light on Sydney, and Sydney is the main character of these movies. That first hour feels pointless. I, I I'll be honest. That's I, the that, thing that, is, that, yeah, nothing happened other than the initial opening scene with Cotton Weary, which I think is pretty effective and works okay. Right. Um, we don't like Cotton necessarily as much as we liked Randy, so it's not quite as effective. Right. But I think we we softened to Cotton in, in, in Scream Two, right? Yeah. By the end of it, we were like, you know, he's an okay guy. You know. So I think that that opening's effective. But yeah, that that first hour, man, is there are laughs to be had. There are occasional moments of, of thrills and, and and I think a lot of the chase scenes and kill scenes are pretty. I I think you can feel Wes being bored of it a little right. bit. They're they're finely made, but no, yeah, you're right. That first hour it really feels kind of like what are we doing? <laughs> let's jump into this real quick. Okay, let's jump sure, into a couple sure. scenes. Let's talk about the opening scene a little bit. Uh, I have a I have an IMDb trivia, and I want you to because I know you know a lot of behind the scenes stuff on sure. screen movies. They say an alternate opening was written but never filmed the opening scene contains sydney prescott and a friend of hers alone in her house uh in a different state getting ready to watch a video unbeknownst to sydney the killer calls calls sydney and her friend claiming that he is in the house watching them which turns out to be true the killer jumps out from a closet and attempts to attack a frightened sydney and her friend sydney however pulls out a gun and shoots the killer several times upon unmasking him the serial killer or the killer turned out to be a fan who was pulling a prank on sydney is this true is this williamson's script is this or i don't think that this made it to i don't i see here's the thing there's a lot of muddiness about what was actually in that williamson script that was supposedly thrown out um and i don't even know how complete that script was it's tough i i would love to find out what really is out there i do know that this this sequence apparently that's bruce yeah, he might know. Screenplay, screenplay archaeology. Throwing a plug for him. Too. Yeah, Bruce, yeah, yeah. Like fun, he does fun it, podcast. He, yeah, yeah, he reviews a lot of like unproduced screenplays. I'll ask. We'll ask him. Yeah, we'll, um, should we, we should ask Bruce. Yeah. But uh, I, my understanding is this was at the very least on paper somewhere, whether it was a treatment or a script. I don't know because Williamson wrote a treatment outline for this too yes. early on and early. yeah you're right it got yeah. trashed early. So what we get is the cotton weary scene, which is cotton weary essentially going home to. Um, save his girlfriend who was showering and listening to Creed. <laughs> what if by Creed and they both die? Yeah, um, Cotton Weary is our, is our opening kill this time around. Yes. And I think it works in the sense that uh, we know there's an opening kill in the Scream films now, right? We know this is part of the... This is... We've upped the ante in Scream 2. We've, we've now have two victims and we kind of went bigger and crazier and more meta in Scream 2. So now they're upping it again by let's kill off somebody returning right out of the gate. Certainly not as effective as if they had killed... Gale or Dewey, right. but they, let's be honest, they didn't have the balls to do that, <laughs> um, which 
might be a bit of an issue in this movie to me a little bit. I think it actually gets more be more of an issue too in four. In four, in yeah. four. and yeah. we'll talk about that. Yes, I don't know how. I'm do you gonna, own four? Yes. Okay. Cool. Okay. I do not know how I'm going to feel about four. We'll get into four when we get to four. Yes. Um, but anyway, uh, but I, I I I do for the most part like the opening sequence. I think it works. I think it's fine. That's the thing is. So the thing with the I like Cotton. He's funny. Yeah. <laughs> Trevor's good as always. Uh, the the first two movies. I, I'm gonna be honest with you. The first two movies I will hold up as like cold open, like Stone Cold classics. Yeah. I agree. When it comes to this, and yeah. the thing about them is they tell they tell a story. We talked about a little bit with part two. They tell a story and they have like thematic elements to it. Yes. This is incredibly surface level. Like this feels like Wes just going like, yeah, I can direct. I can direct a kill scene. No, seriously, he and make it it's, tense. It's it's what happens in the scene. He's driving. He gets a phone call. I kill your girlfriend. Right. And then he gets there and he goes, I killed your girlfriend. Now nah, you're dead. It's like, there's no. That's it. There's yeah. No, there's nothing deeper going on here. No. It, it's just it's a good scene. There's like it lingers over the Hollywood sign, which I think touches on what it'll talk about later. And there's also it steps up the fact that the killer can disguise his voice. So there is like a the killer has like <laughs> like Mission Impossible two like level superpowers in this movie. Yeah, which is kind of fun. Randy mentions it in his video. Yes, he says that the killer is going to be superhuman this time around. Right. Right. So, yeah. so I mean, it's a good scene. Yeah. There's just not a ton. It works. There's not a ton. It's a fine opening there. kill. Did you know that Lee, Leo Schreiber insisted that Cottonwood should remove yeah. his jacket because he had been working out? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Leo Schreiber is a big boxing fan. I know this because he narrates those uh, HBO documentaries. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Big so, fan of Leo Schreiber. Yeah. Really like the guy. I think he's a great actor. Me too. And I, yeah. Cotton, um, Cotton had an I like Cotton Weary too. Yeah. Interesting role. Yep. All right. Then I wanted to talk about, so we move along. We're at the Stab 3 set. So Stab yes. 3 is the movie that's in production. And so... What's interesting about the stab stab franchise is like they are successful enough to have three movies now, which but is insane to me. Um, the, and they're also telling their own story. It seems. Oh yes, because they mention at one point in the movie that uh, Gail Weathers is a character in the Stab Three film, yes. and she is killed in the Stab Three film. She is a victim in the Stab Three film. So they are taking real human beings that exist in the world and and killing them in some weird sequelized version of a true story. It's very strange. It is very strange. So do you have do you have a favorite performance of these of the new cast cuz we got Parker, Parker Posey It's Parker Posey. Me too. <laughs> Jenny McCarthy's in it. Um, they're all fine. Uh Scott Foley, I guess, too. Oh, uh Emily Mortimer and Parker Posey's really funny in this. Yeah, she's great. Uh she's a, she's doing a f- super super fun impression of Courtney Cox as Gail Weathers through a lot of the movie. She's fun. She has a fun interplay with uh Patrick Warburton. I'm sorry. Love Patrick Warburton. Patrick Warburton calling him Dewdrop. Yeah. It's, it's really good. It's really good. I like Patrick Warburton. Yeah, I like Patrick Warburton and everything. Uh, his character is one of those ones where I'm like, why is he in the movie though? Like, it just feels like an extra body count yeah. thing. But um, but the two of them are fun together. And uh, no, I, I I think she's really great. Uh, Samantha Morton, is that the... Uh, I believe it's Mortimer. Emily Mortimer. Emily Mortimer. I always get her and Samantha Morton mixed up. Yes. I don't know why. Um, she's a very good actress, but she has nothing in this movie that's interesting to me. I, which is a bummer. Like I, I actually quite like her and everything I've seen her in. She gets a little in. Isn't there stuff cut out? Maybe like, so. She was going to be a killer. Let's yep. just throw that out there right now. So, uh, post post Williamson's ideas for uh, Stu coming back, which well, I'll just well, I'll break it down right now. I'll, I'll break I'll break it down a little bit right now. Uh, Williamson's original idea was for Stu to come back. Uh, yes. Uh, Matthew Lillard's character from Scream 1, that he would have survived his attack 
and he was in prison and he was orchestrating killers from prison to go after Sydney. Okay. And so he wasn't Ghostface himself, but he was the one pulling the strings. Interesting idea. Um, and my understanding was the reason why that got kiboshed is because he was actually um, having high schoolers kill each other and stuff too. Like he oh. was he was manipulating a couple of high school students to do his bidding and to like off people, including their own classmates. And they were like, "This is not we're not this is not going to happen." That's an interesting story. I don't know that Stu coming back makes any fucking sense. It's pretty dumb. Uh, he's super dead at the end of Scream One. <laughs> um, I know. Yeah, yeah. I love Lillard, and he probably would have killed it. But um, but one of the reasons why that always bummed me out that that ending that 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 movie didn't get made is because there was supposed to be a scene where Sydney walks into the set that was because they there's sets of the locations from Scream One at the end of this movie, which is very cool. Kind of a cool way to call back right to the original. Yes, film. And there's one particular thing I want to touch on. But go cool, ahead. Cool. Yeah. Oh, they're they're at Stu's house. The Stu's house set. Okay. And Sydney would walk in, arrive on set. This would be when she arrives in the film, essentially, really, in the, in the final act. And there'd be dead teenagers all over the party. Like, like this guy had gone, they, they'd ghost face it off the bunch of kids. And they were all going to stand up at the same time and pull out knives. So, like, you found out that it wasn't one killer or two killers. It was, like, ten killers. And it was essentially like a small te- cult of teenagers that were, were like doing Stu's bidding. Yeah. That's really cool. What a cool like, I- anyway, neat idea. Don't know if it would have worked on screen. But um, but the original idea was that, I, I apologize for that rant. Um, no, sorry. The original idea for Emily Mortimer was that she was going to be the accomplice of Scott Foley's character, who obviously is revealed to be the, uh, what is it, Roman Bridger. <laughs> What a stupid name, uh, Roman Bridger, the the brother of long lost brother of Sydney Prescott. So, but she was going to be, I think she was going to be a Mickey type, where she she was the one like a Stuart yes. or a Mickey, where she had no skin in the game, she was just crazy and in it for the the kicks, I guess. I don't know. So, and you can tell because she doesn't do anything. She has she gets a little bit more interesting at like towards the very That's end right. when they That's reveal. Right. She's like I slept with. Yeah, with Lance Henriksen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. When they reveal it, but it's not. It's not anything more interesting than like, oh, that's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> and like, she turns out to be. Yeah. A couple of things I wanted to touch on with these scenes. So, I think is it, people were getting kind of smarter. This is around the dawn of the internet when it comes to internet movie sites. I mean, and people were getting smarter when it came to movies, uh, or at least online <laughs> more and learning more about movies and following kind of the behind the scenes through there. So you have some like in jokes here. One of them is Jan Silent Bob, I think, coming around this time, um, and and Wes is in there too. But like Jane Silent Bob, are kind of that because Jane Silent Bob, those kept early Kevin Smith movies were kind of around that too. Because uh, we've talked about it before; those were kind of gateway stuff for us to get more into movies. Yes, um, for sure. So, but Scream is kind of like an ultimate gateway in that way too, because it it explicitly talks about movies. The other thing I kind of like: there's a shot of all of the Jenny McCarthy and all of the ghost face costumes behind her. And it kind of shows how like kind of omnipresent Ghostface has become, and he's just all over the place at this point. He's kind of like a Freddy, especially since it's only one in this movie. Yes. It's, it's one person, right? Yep. That that was the fun of of the reveal in the first movie was that like I think we we always laughed and joked about, um, and people still laugh and joke about how like 
Jason or Michael Myers or whoever can like teleport, right? Like they're, yep. they're, they're always they're they're all seeing, all knowing. They're always where they need to be when they need to be there, which is really funny. Yep, and it's an issue I don't think that you can ever really solve for in slasher movies because you need the killer to be omnipresent. But I loved about Scream 1 the reveal of the two killers because it was so smart in the sense that, well, okay, this is how they're able to pull this off. You needed two of them. Now in this one, you've once again, the Randy, the Randy thing of like, oh, it's the third part. Like We've got a super-powered ghost face now. Um, and it's totally true. You're right. Like Ghost face has become this like Freddy Krueger-level enigma, this yeah. unkillable, like, yeah. So, And there's a great moment, but this is later in the movie, but I want to touch on it too because we're on set. At the begin- towards the beginning of this, <laughs> do you remember the poster that Sydney had up in the first, in the first movie? Do you remember the band? No, I don't. I believe it was the Indigo Girls. Oh, cool, cool. It's the Indigo Girls. In this movie, in her bedroom set, they have a Creed poster. Ah, Sydney would never listen to nah. Creed. <laughs> that's not her thing. And that's. I think it's kind of clever. I I feel like it's intentional too because it's just there to sell the soundtrack. But it's also got. A, it's also. I think it's worth pointing out that like it's gotten to the point where like in these in this stab through universe it's so far past the actual people that it's not I mean, these people are cartoons. So sweet. Yeah. That there's got to be a, like three or four layers of meta. Yes. On top of that, that that's fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Real quick on this next scene, and then we'll move on to the big ones. But yeah. the rap party scene. This is where they're all. Um, this is the big explosion, of the fax machine bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to talk Which, about this. We're getting. It's, okay. it's like Bond villain shit. Right? <laughs> so here's the uh, here's a quote I pulled for Bless. Due to all the complaints about blood in the first two movies and the, all the copycat killings, the producers were actually for a second considering doing a bloodless scream movie, to which Craven replied, come on guys, this is a scream movie. A compromise was agreed upon. They would continue the tr- tradition of having many killings in the movie, but they would be mostly bloodless t- this time, a la the Omen, Halloween, or other discreet thrillers, quote unquote. The slasher fanboys and even the critics were not impressed calling this outing the tamest of the bunch. I can't remember where I got that from, actually. But um, that may have been even IMD trivia. But this is this is the thing that I think showcases that the most. Because you're right. It's ridiculous. It's the fax so machine stupid. Bit, it's really stupid. But I think it's also kind of fun. It's fun. Like, we're, we're in full parody mode, I think, at this point. At, at, at this juncture in the movie, you're either on board or you're not, right? So it's funny because I think, like, Scream 3, my, my like interpretation or my feelings on Scream 3 change with however I'm feeling when I watch. Like, mm-hmm. If I want a horror movie, if I'm going in with that mindset, I'm probably not going to have a great time with Scream 3. But if I just want to have a fun, good time and just like laugh, like yeah, it's probably... This is this is a good call. One so, and two, I'll rewatch anytime. It doesn't matter. Yeah, three yeah, and four. Yeah, yeah. This well, one I have to be in the right four. mood. Three, for yeah, three. I have to. I will watch after I watch one and two, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and this this scene is a good reason why. It, it's so stupid. But once again... Isn't it kind of playing into the third part thing again? Like, yeah. Randy's character, and that's another ridiculous scene, the fact that he, although he would do that, right? Like, he would film himself before he died. They'd be like, hey, guys, it's, I don't make It's it. one of my least favorite scenes of the movie for it's a lot of dumb. reasons. It's dumb. Yeah, let's, let, you want to just jump into the Sunrise Studio stuff? Because it ties into this. Yeah, sure. But yeah. What, what I was saying, this once again ties into the Randy thing, right? This once right. again ties into him saying, like, all bets are off. It's number three. Anything can happen. So, anyway, yeah. Oh, and it just ups the... There's Andy, an explosion. Yeah. Like, there's a big explosion. <laughs> a big one. 
and people die in it. It's so stupid. Anyway. Uh, okay, so the sunrise we're from there because the other thing I wanted to touch on in this scene is it, this is where it starts to intro. This is where the lack of Sydney so far it starts to really hit. Is because yeah, you're right. It's in complete parody mode. It's kind of funny, but it also was, is where it starts. I think to touch on like the male female dynamic in Hollywood yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. Yep, and yeah. which which I think is, I think could work. Yeah, and I think. Um, I think it's the most interesting stuff in the movie from that standpoint. Yep. And I think also because this is a Weinstein-produced movie, um, I think it's very interesting kind to of fascinating, look at um, what's being said and who's saying it. <clears throat> so, okay, another West quote. We've always, so we're in the Sunrise Studio sequence now. This is like the Carrie Fisher stuff and then the Randy stuff, the Randy sister stuff. But Wes says, we've always kind of asked and answered social questions about the responsibility or lack of responsibility of genre films. But even from the beginning, we were subverting the rules. We were exploring the history of the genre and the depth of the field. Hopefully those people with a brain in their heads will, re- I love you, Wes, will realize that the Scream story has been around a long time and told by the best of the best. What I think is interesting about, the most interesting aspect of Scream 3 is I don't think it's like a deconstruction of horror movies in the sense that it's not looking at horror movies in the first way, which is like, do they cause people to be violent? Right. What I think is looking at, and it gets the most interesting during the sequence in a lot of ways, and going into the end too with the Les Henriksen character, it's looking at how we learn from the people that make these movies and how, like, how, and maybe not even how we learn, but how people learn from other people and how these people in Hollywood act and how like these big institutions like the filmmaker Carrie Fisher has a line in this movie where she says I don't work for the cops I work for the studio and it kind of touches on a Hollywood a Hollywood runs that town like the oh, movie yeah. production yeah, 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 yeah. runs that town those people in power like the Weinsteins can get away with the stuff they got away with for years because yes. they run that town it's um it's when when if you look at Hollywood as a population, right? Or, and I mean like people in the entertainment industry in that California, you know, like there's a lot of hungry people. Yeah. More hungry people than there are fed people. And when you've got that many people out there that are that hungry for achieving this dream, you are going to have some scary ass people taking advantage of that. And it's going to, it's going to, be very hard for people that are already at that higher level to speak out in fear of going back to being hungry. <laughs> and yeah. It's, it's this weird almost, it's not cult-like. That's not the right, it's almost like its own government in a weird way, right? Like, it's its own twisted, like... And I don't even want to limit to Hollywood, too, because you see this a lot, too, like, maybe even in college towns. Like, yeah, you have a sure, big sure. college uh, there, sure. and the uh, the kids get in... But you, sometimes they look the other way. Maybe, sure. like, with with an athletic program, for example. Yeah, uh, sure. People will Hollywood might other, just be a... a, a, a more, Hollywood's what he's a going bigger after. bigger example of it. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of about how these institutions run things. And it's also... He Lance Henriksen has a line in this movie, too, where... You've made millions off her daughter. It was this, uh, so he's talking about how Sydney's mom was raped, and how she kind of she learned from that experience. Like you got to get ahead to, or to you get ahead by sleeping around. Question: kind of, um, I was looking at the IMDb trivia for this as I try right. to do before we talk about movies. Somebody in the IMDb trivia mentions that Lance Henriksen's character is Roman's dad. Is that even inferred? 
No, I think that's because re- <laughs> they're reading into the fact that he r- raped Sydney's mom, right? Did is, he, how, did he, does he, I never, did you, I thought, I he don't just know said if there's she ex- was raped. She was I, raped. I, not that it really matters that much, but I was curious because the, I know, I don't remember them outwardly stating Lance Henriksen's character. I didn't either because it was responsible. She turned for, him down, right? That's what I thought. And then she was, they were at a Hollywood party and she was raped. He said, Maybe it's so maybe it's inferred a little it may, bit. It might be inferred that it was him, yeah. and because then he has a line that goes, "It was the seventies; everything was different." But the thing is, like, it's not different. Like, it's just sure. It, 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 like they make sure to point it out that even at the time, it's not different. Um, and then he says, "Maybe the sad truth is, yeah, I didn't write down the line because I don't think it's ever explicitly stated. Um, but I could no. be wrong." So I like Lance in this, by the way. No, he's he's yeah. he's good. Um, good. He, yeah, you want to you want to get ahead in Hollywood, you. You got to play the game or go home is what he says too. So that's kind of so that's the original sin in this movie is what happens to Sydney's mom when she goes out to Hollywood yeah, and that right. leads to everything else. And I like that. Actually. I will. I, I totally agree with you, and I'm happy you said that. I I actually like that. I think that the the most clever part of this script and this story is how they manage to really kind of organically figure out a way. Based on what we know of Sydney's mom, of Sydney's past, of the events that have transpired in one and two, they find a really actually kind of clever, believable way for Sydney to have a long lost sibling, which is the dumbest shit. Like, like lost sibling stories are so they're like tropes. Like they're right. They feel so played out, and we still see them in storytelling all the time, and we kind of forgive them because they're just part of. When you want to shock an audience, it's something you do, right? It's have a long lost family member yeah. pop up. But I think it actually kind of works in this movie. What doesn't work is I don't give a shit about the Roman Bridger character <laughs> right. at any point in this movie. I think he's kind of obnoxious and unlikable. Uh, and I don't know anything about him, so it doesn't really matter. Um, what does work, though, I think, is his explanation of like, not only is he the killer in this movie, he literally was the one that showed Billy Loomis, look what she's doing. She's the one that caused the, your father to leave your mother. And not only that, he infers that he also maybe gave Billy Loomis some tips on, here's how you maybe kill people. And that, and, and he even told Billy Loomis, he says, get yourself, like, get yourself a partner that you can frame in case things go south. So he is the reason why everything happened, um, and it's honestly it's my favorite part of the movie because I think it I think it ties together what Scream is trying to say throughout the first three movies, which is it's not necessarily movies that are ruining people; it's people, the people themselves, poisoning other people by how they treat each other. And this fully, and this, yeah. and this, I think this kind of nails that. Um, the issue is then there's uh, there's more to it. And there's there's just a lot of stuff that's just like you said it's kind of fine like it's okay sure it's kind of silly and stupid but that part I think the Lance Henriksen stuff I think that stuff I think that stuff really works and really holds up well and I yeah. think it's the best stuff of the movie and it feels the most West like to me I'm giving Wes a lot of credit with this but it feels it feels what 
what Wes would have brought to the table maybe a rewrite. No, I agree. <laughs> no, I agree. I think because yeah. I'm with you, Aaron Kruger does not have an, a distinct voice throughout his no, filmography. No. Aaron Kruger seems like someone who came in to get this done. And that's cool. You need people like that. Uh, the problem here is that my understanding, and I can only base what I'm saying off of the little bit that we know or we think we know from internet information, and my understanding is whatever Williamson had on page was tossed out. And Kruger was hired to step in and fill in the blanks. And it's a pretty well-known fact. He was writing this as they shot. <laughs> That's no way to make a movie. Um, it's not. And I think 99% of the time when you're making a movie where you're writing this script on set, look at the Hobbit movies. Right. Like, it's it's no way to make a movie, and it usually turns out bad. So I think the fact that they have that they achieved what they did with Scream 3 is actually kind of impressive considering what they were going through behind the scenes. Um and I still don't fully know why Williamson was I've never really I've never really gotten a I'll to, I can look more but I I've never really gotten a proper answer. I'll try to look more and then maybe have an answer by 4. Well, but. I've 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 heard I've heard everything from he was too busy at the time and too in demand in the time at the time to they didn't want to pay him. <laughs> I so who knows? I don't, you know, I don't know. But um I do think that I I think that if if you had gone with this story and you'd gone with the reveal that this is Sydney's brother and he's been orchestrating everything and he technically didn't orchestrate Scream 2, right? That was just a byproduct. Scream, Scream 2 kind 1. of, yeah, yeah. But but Took still, because the events he started in, before Scream 1 led to everything Sydney's been through. I love that. Once again, and, and, and I don't dislike Scott Foley. I actually think he's fine towards the end of this movie. He's able to do... He does fine work. I, I like Scott Foley. I have no issue with Scott Foley. That Rowan character sucks, though. There's nothing... Okay, so let's just... Yeah, we're in the reveal now. Yeah. Um... It turns into a Scooby Doo movie. <laughs> it does. It's like it. It's literally a Scooby Doo. It does. In a, like a mansion passages. <laughs> yeah. It's silly. <laughs> so he reveals himself. By Sydney's- the way, that's the same house uh, from the finale of H two O. Oh, okay. How cool is that? Same mansion from the that they shot in the same mansion. I did not know that. There you go. Um, there's a uh, oh the uh, I learned the Sentinel Mansion is the same mansion that they use in Arrow. No way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah. Um, anyway. Um, so yeah, we're we're here. Sydney's back at the plot. She's been talking to um, my man. What's my man's name? Patrick. Uh, Patrick. Uh, Dempsey. Kincaid. Dempsey. I like to think what's he was favorite, named after. What's your favorite? Oh, definitely. Oh my gosh, definitely. What's your favorite scary movie? My life. <laughs> that character's just in the script for as a red herring, right? That's it's a it. stupid character. And I actually, once we get into the very, very end, I hate that he's there. I hate that he's there at the end with Sydney eating popcorn. Yeah, it sucks. Um, <laughs> question. If he was exactly on screen as he was in this finished film, and he had been revealed as Sydney's undercover brother, would that have been better? Do <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't. Do you think because you get to know him a little bit more and you get to start to trust him a little bit more as a character, and you see that him and Sydney are kind of bonding a little bit, do you think that that would have worked better? No, because I I think part of the reason I like so they're bonding a little bit, and it's kind of implied at the end that he may be kind of a love interest, which is what I think sucks. I think it sucks that he's even there, <laughs> or may, 
Is it kind well, of implied, just, or is no, he just hanging out? He might just be hanging out. Well, Sorry. J- j- just once again, when it, when it comes to he was not he was not present in the finale at all in the original okay. when they shot this movie. Uh, I believe he was added in reshoots into the third <laughs> act because the producers apparently went, "What happened to that cop?" Yeah. Because he j- apparently he just disappears from the the, the movie. <laughs> he, does, he does. I don't even notice it because it's. I just. I'm kind of. So the, the, those little bits where he gets hit over the head or whatever happens to him and he's beat up and then he shows at the end. That was like last minute. Let's throw it in there and. Yeah. Yeah. So I do like that. Um, but even like the the reveal of the killer just feels kind of arbitrary. He's just like spitting out why it's happening. <laughs> Scott Foley. He's just spitting out lines of dialogue. Yeah. Wes is like, let's move on. I want to. <laughs> yeah. Let me get this in the can. Yeah. Um, I, so, I agree. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> it's the other thing that was also on the table at some point in production was uh, that Kincaid's partner, the cop that you see him with a bunch. Yeah. He the, was going to be Sydney's brother. That dude has a couple special. good lines, but then there are a couple lines where I'm like this guy's annoying. He's annoying me. Right so uh, now. real quick, I hate to. Uh, no, go for that it. That actor is Raphael from Ninja Turtles One and Two. Thank you. He was in the suit and he was the voice. Thank you. He's got really good delivery, but there are there are lines where I'm just like, "That's stupid." Once you shut up, yeah, he, yeah, he's silly. yeah, he's another one I think that's just there to be there, and so you have another face to remember in case. The line that gets me every time I think is really funny is he was in a movie called Stab, and he was, he was stabbed. stabbed. <laughs> he kind of nails that line. It's a good line. Yeah. yeah so yeah. anyway, yeah, the reveal. Do you want to say anything more about the reveal? Did you want to talk about Martha Meeks at all, Randy's sister? She, she uh, uh, that, we are. I so I used to, I used to kind of love Demi Marazzo because she's an odd-looking woman, and yeah. I think that's fair. So she's just got unique features. She's very, very interesting. Which hostel is she? Look one at? or two? Two. So she's in two. Like, yeah. So here's. A, I always thought there was a sweetness, and I really kind of loved seeing her pop up and stuff because there's just such a there's, there's kind of this innate. She just seems like such a such a beautiful person. Like she just seems so sweet and so great. And like, I don't know. I just like her presence in movies when she pops up. And then I saw Hostel too. Yeah. And I see her now, and I can't unsee the horror the that I witnessed her go through in that movie. And it's that movie ruined Debbie Matarazzo for me. I think it's her <laughs> name, right? Debbie Matarazzo. It ruins her in the movie. <laughs> like if she's ruined. I, <laughs> and I, I, I used to, I used to look forward to seeing that actress. Now when I see her, all I can think of is Hostel Two, and how much that grows. We talked me about out. Hostel Two on this podcast oh, at one point in our lives. That's um, a rough movie. It um, is rough. Anyway, um, this is a stupid sequence. <laughs> um, this was literally thrown in to appease the Randy fans that were pissed off that he died in two. Let's be honest. That's why this is here. And because you needed... Someone to explain the rules of a trilogy. And I believe this was all over the trailer because why not? Um, but it's it's also just kind of explaining how stupid things are at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, hey, this movie's going to be dumb. Oh, I dumb. forgot. Like, Sydney's seeing ghost visions in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> This movie's gonna be dumb. Just deal with it. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, I don't. I don't like the ghost scenes. No. I don't like those. I don't love. Them. So anyway, we're should we end? Uh, Dewey and Courtney Cox gets married. Courtney Cox has a great quote. I don't remember the exact quote. She, we were flirting on one. We were having. We were sleeping together on two. We shared a trailer on three. We shared a trailer on three. Yep. And then divorced on four. I don't think she put that in the lot. But this was yeah. This was back when things were. Or um, better. Or yeah. The, yeah, things started to go sour on four. I have a friend, a, a pretty close friend, by the way, who is apparently relative, partially responsible for the divorce between... I think we have talked about... We have I mentioned this on the podcast, but we have not talked about it, and we will leave it yes. up to the imagination. Yes. So anyway, Sydney's home. She's with her beautiful puppy, 
and she leaves the gate open behind her. Oh, yeah, Dewey and uh, Gail get married, which is kind of sweet. It's kind of a sweet ending. The music is triumphant. Like, it's the end of the... Marco Beltrami is going all out, and it's just And I don't love the score in this movie. I'll say it. It's a little too whimsical for my taste, Beltrami, (laughs) but the ending really works. You like Beltrami? Um, I do. Yeah, I kind of do, too. I do. Um, So the ending, yeah. She's not afraid anymore. And she Heather Matarazzo. I'm sorry. You call her Debbie. Me. Yeah, it's fine. Debbie Matarazzo is a different actress. Heather Matarazzo. Um, so she leaves the door open. She's free. And like that's the end of Cindy's story. Yeah. For now. I love the leaving the door open thing. I do too. I like the ending. And that's the thing is, so I think I mentioned this at, uh, when we talked about part two is like, at the end of it, I'm like, Cindy's story's done for me. And then even the first hour, she's doing the... Uh, crisis hotline, which I think is great, but like that's kind of implied what she was going to do anyway. Like I could, I kind of love that. Yeah, yeah. And, and she doesn't, but then she's just kind of hanging out. So like, it. I don't think it's over necessarily. I just think the movie just does a, such a bad job of setting up her journey in this movie yeah. that like it feels like it's over, but it's not. I think she. I think now she's complete. Like now it's done for her. Yeah. No, and I, and it's funny because you could you could look at it one way. Like Scream Four comes along years later, right? And on one hand, I go, that kind of ruins the ending of Scream 3 slash the ending of the trilogy because, like, that was a perfect closer for Sydney. Now we got to drag her shit fucking back into this thing. Like, that sucks. Kind of like Alien. <laughs> um, well, that's one of the tough things about the Scream movies because it's one of the first ones, I think, to carry the same characters yeah. through, like, three yes. movies. Yes. yes. I love it for that. that. That's what makes part of the series. I think that's what makes the series so enduring. Yeah. Is that you do... It is unique. And that's the tough yeah. thing about wanting to see one of them get killed. One of the main trio, because I don't want to see it. No. I want to see what happens. Yeah, <laughs> I want to see where they go in life. Exactly. And and the more <laughs> the more entries you add to the series, right, the less I want to see them killed. Because I'm like, God, they survived this last fucking four movies. Now you're going to kill, kill them now? Maybe, like, maybe later on their deathbed, maybe a ghost face comes up and kills them. Like, I, just yeah. put them up. Let me just have one of them die like, like, in like a... Like, because they get sick. I don't know. Like, like <laughs> I'd be better with that. Than... They call Ghostface up and they're like, hey, yeah. I'm really sick right now. Why don't you come over? Take care of business. <laughs> I'll be your first. Anyway, but uh, but so on one hand, I go, fuck, goddamn Scream 4. Why? why? But then the other hand, I'm like, Scream 3 kind of sucked. And, like, like compared to, comparably, Scream 3 kind of sucked. So, like, if you got a chance to make up for it a little bit, sure, why not? But we'll talk about Scream 4. I'm very, very... Scream 4 is the one that I I am most... Uh, I want to let... Shoot. I was, 3 and 4 were the ones I was most excited to talk about because I think 3 and 4 are the ones that had the potential for you and I to change the most in terms of how we I'm, feel about them. I'm waiting for 4 because I remember not liking 4. I remember um, putting this one ahead of 4. Yes. And I'm curious because there are there's a lot of stuff I like in this one. And I still, I still had a good time watching it. And... I still enjoy myself. I think it moves pretty quick. For, for a two-hour yeah. horror movie, I think it moves fine. Um, yeah. I'm never bored during it. No. Like you said, it's always fine, and there's stuff that's really good. See, and I think that's the issue, right? Yeah. Is, is 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 If we're talking about most horror franchises and we're saying, it's fine, yeah. that's that's actually kind of positive, right? Yeah. Um, when we're talking about Scream, though... One and two are high-level stuff. Kind of excellent. Mm-hmm. I, well, one is one is kind of a perfect... One is a perfect film. Mm-hmm. I, I There's... I don't think there's anything wrong with the first screen movie. Two is an excellent sequel. So three being fine is really a letdown, right? I mean, the movie itself is fine. It reminds me of... It's good. Like a, It's okay. It, it's a kind of like... It, it fits in with chapter three in a lot of these trilogies around yes. the time. <laughs> yeah. they it's really, always like the one... They really have a hard time sticking the landing, don't they? Jedi, Spider-Man 3, Blade 3. Whoa! Jedi? Jedi's the weakest of the first three. 
It is the weakest, but it's a good movie. Jedi was, you know what though? At the time, Jedi was considered. It was considered kind of bad. Yeah, it was yeah. considered bad. It wasn't until people saw the prequels that I yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that yeah. it got really. It, they they learned their lesson. So, um, but yeah, Spider Man three, X Men three, Blade three. Oh man, superhero movies. Superman three. Superman three. Oh shit! Yeah, this is not good. Yeah, as far as trilogies goes. So, any any final thoughts on screen? No, no, no. I I think it's well worth a look. I think you might find if you didn't enjoy it the first time or you saw it or the last time you saw it a reappraisal honestly i think you you might feel differently i truly feel that way go into it with the mindset of exactly what we talked about the issues they were facing behind the scenes the limitations they had in terms of nev campbell's availability and things like that and i think you'll be actually quite impressed with the fact that it's a, it's a pretty enjoyable movie and it's a fun movie it is dumb yeah it does feel different than the first two and i think that's its biggest issue is it feels too different but there are some damn good reasons why it does feel different i am hoping this is the this is the black sheep of this franchise right even I'm if you ho- like scream four or less yeah this is the black sheep right because this is the one that feels weird there's part of me that hopes that like when we watch scream four like i go oh that's the rocky balboa to this is to this rocky five i don't think you're gonna feel that <laughs> no, I don't, okay. yeah rocky balboa is really good it's so. really good yeah, yeah. So we're talking about Scream 4. Scream 4. Released on April 15th, 2011. Gross $97 million worldwide on a budget of $40 million, becoming the lowest grossing film in the Scream franchise. Plot. Ten years have passed, and Sydney Prescott, who has put herself back together, thanks in part to her writing, is visited by the ghost face killer. Killer, not killer. Directed by Wes Craven, written by Kevin Williamson, starring Neff Campbell, Courtney Cox, and David Arquette. I think I'm uh, three for three, on, or four for four now. I'm just naming those three. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, those are the those are the those are the stars, right? Um, yeah. General thoughts on Scream Four from you uh, this time around? Okay. Um, okay. So going into this, uh, Scream Three for me. Start there for a second. We talked about Scream Three last time around. I will say, I don't think Scream 3 was a better movie this time around. I will say I was more forgiving of Scream 3's issues. That's what I'll say. Scream 4, I will say, is diminished from where it was. We're going to be on the same boat here. Um, (laughs) I was not a huge fan going into this. I went into... So I preferred Scream 4 over Scream 3 going into this. I'm not so sure that's the case anymore. Uh, Scream 4 does a lot right. It does. But it does a lot wrong. And it doesn't... I don't... I don't think it knows what it wants to accomplish. And I think... I think there are there are two... It's a movie of two minds. And I will explain that as we get a little further in. And I be, think because it's at battle with itself a little bit creatively... It winds up, you wind up just kind of going, what was the point of, what did that, how did that forward the plot of any, like, what, at least Scream 3 forwarded the plot, in my opinion, and it wrapped up things in a conclusion that, yes, was it silly, with the long lost brother thing, of course, but at least it, like, it tied everything together, right? I don't know why this movie exists, I guess, is my thing. I That's where I kind of, and you could say, oh, well, it's, it's, they're able to update it and make a, uh, an experience that reflects on all the horror that's happened in the last decade since Scream 1 happened. 
or since, since Scream 3. Would it have been 10 years since Scream 3? Yeah. yeah. Scream 3 so was 2011 In years. the last decade, we can reflect on things like the, the horror remakes and all that stuff. And they touch on all that stuff. But I, I, I don't think they really care about that that much. I really like. I think that that stuff just kind of thrown in there to go. Look, we're still. This meta. is scream. See, like, well, yeah. You wanted your meta. Uh, the performances are all strong. I think that that's always been a strength of the scream series. There's nothing wrong there. The score works. The kills work. Ghostface is still intimidating and and works. Uh, Roger Jackson's having a great time as Ghostface this time around. He's going nuts. The bit about I'm gonna cut cut off your eyelids so you can watch me stab you in the face is fucking sweet. Like that was that's some Ghostface shit. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, I I I kind of walk away going like I don't okay. I I feel empty at the end of this movie, and I can't say the same for three. At least with three, I felt a little bit fulfilled with Sydney's journey, right? Mm-hmm. With this movie, I just go, okay. So they remade Scream 1, kind of. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I'll get more into it. Tim, what were your... Basically, oh. what I'm saying is, this, for me, used to be above Scream 3 by a notch or two. Now it's kind of at Scream 3's level for me, maybe even a notch or two lower. So it did shift. This so this solidified its ranking as my least favorite scream film after this. And we're going to jump right into the kind of the plot points, the beats of the movie here so we can get into why I don't like the things I like. So I do want to say there are some things it does well. I just don't think I think the highs of Scream 3 are higher. I think the Hollywood stuff in Scream 3 it's better than anything in this movie. Agreed. I think what this movie, what kills this movie for me, this movie is the reason why we, I like kind of we wanted to do this. So we, could, I've seen a lot of reevaluation of this movie lately, okay. and I think a lot of it. I mean, it's fair reevaluating this movie is fair, and I, I get why people like it. What bothers me about this movie is there is a cynicism to this movie that seeps in so deep. It is unreal, and it. It sucks. It doesn't feel like Scream to me. Even three, at its most cynical, was it just never felt like there was an undercurrent of kind of like hope and good. Even one, as callous as the kids can be in one, it still never got as as deeply cynical as what this movie is trying to say about. There are times when it feels to me like this movie kind of dislikes the horror genre <laughs> or what it had become, and I never felt that way during one, and. There is a generational clash in this one between three generations, and it comes down, it takes a side. This movie takes a side of those three sides, and it kind of leaves no room for argument, and it doesn't leave a lot of sympathy for the younger generation. No, it's... (laughs) And I can't believe it coming... Some of the stuff is surprising to me coming from Wes, and honestly, it's part part of me thinks, like, uh, that's what tells me this is not Kevin Williamson's movie at all. This because has to be Aaron Kruger, right? This feels like this I does not feel him. like Kevin Williamson, and this feels like a Wes. That's my other thing with this, and I love Wes, and I do not want to badmouth him. No. And honestly, I think this is an okay movie to go out yeah. on. Yeah, but he does not have his fastball at this point. No, the, it had been a while. <laughs> whoever creatively was making the final decisions on this movie hates an entire generation <laughs> of people. hates Hates an entire generation of youth because right. it's. 
So when I was mentioning earlier about there's two there to me there's two sides battling here right and and actually you can you it's funny because you could see in the promotion because I was following the shit out of this movie once, okay when it was in pre-book. yeah let's talk about the I was into it dude I was like fuck yeah screams back I want I want my slasher movies back this is it we're coming back it's gonna be huge Wes is back Kevin Williamson has a hand in it blah 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 because he did early on. And I, I feel some Kevin Williamson in this. I, I will say that. Not enough. Um, but the promotional material and the vibe you got from the movie going into it, and maybe that's it's it's my own fault for reading into it too much, but I I, I, I don't know, because there's some of it in the movie too itself. Gave you the vibe that this is going to be a movie that's going to be a passing of the torch, right? This is why the movie exists, because we want to keep making screen movies, and we want to give our old characters, our Dewey, Gale, Sydney, a chance to pass the baton to these new characters, to uh, Hayden Panettiere's character, Emma Roberts, all these younger characters, and kind of have a, a passing of the torch. I'm cool with that. I, I can get on board with that, um, and I think you can do it well. Then you watch the movie, and. By the end, it goes, no, fuck these kids. Yes. The only people we care about are Sydney and Gale and Dewey, and new characters blow. It ends with uh, one of the characters saying, don't fuck with the original, right? Yes. <laughs> so all this meta commentary that they, they shoehorn in here, that they ham fist in here that doesn't feel logical or natural, it, not, a, not a bit of the meta stuff in this movie feels organic even remotely as organic as it did when Randy was doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Every time that happens, I go, by, by the end of the movie, I go, wow, you hate everything you're talking about in this movie. And that's where the cynicism comes from to me. Is, you know, they, they, a lot of, the, a lot of the, the meta stuff is about remakes, right? There's that kind of, I think, kind of an effective bit where uh, Hayden Panettiere's character, um, what's her character's name? Kirby. Kirby. I really like that character, by the way. I want to say that outright. I like the Kirby character quite a bit. She's the one stand for me. She's the one where I was like, she felt to me like a Kevin Williamson character, no question. Um, not a Kevin Williamson archetype that they just. She gives my favorite performance in this movie too. I like her in this movie, yes, a lot. And I obviously we're getting another screen movie. I doubt she's going to be back, but I, it's too bad because I like that character. Um, but anyway, that that scene is effective when she's rattling off the remakes, and it's fun because you're like good God, yeah, this is how we felt for the last 10 years as horror fans. But when the end of the movie comes around and it goes, fuck all that, what a waste of 10 years, this is the real shit. And I'm like, nah, but you you, you just remade Scream 1. Because they do. Because, the, let's be honest, the last 30 minutes of this movie are a remake of Scream 1. And not a very good one. My opinion. And that's, and that's what I mean by Wes kind of losing his fastballs. I just don't think these scenes... Even in three, like he still had it in terms of being. You know what? He lost his editor. Like his yeah. uh, Lucy is not yep. around in this. And I think that it, I think that hurts. No, I do too because there are scenes that just kind of they cut too quick. Yeah, or they go too long. Yep. <laughs> and Wes is kind of he's some of the direction is a little sleep. All right, let's jump into the movie. Of course, yeah. Let's sure. talk about the opening scene. Okay. I got a quote from Russ here from Fangoria that came out around sure. this time. He says, it's no because co- this is going to tie into what we've been talking about. It's no coincidence that it's a decade later. That seems to be a natural period of time to look back on a significant period of horror that was different from the first Scream back then and from all the other horror films since. I don't know, George Romero. 
this needed to have a bunch of films to comment about, and we had a decade's worth of movies to refer to. They were also pretty enormous shifts in the media and the sort of metaculture of films over that 10 years, including the internet and how movies have moved into many different ways. So he's touching on what we touched on. By the end, of, we talked about how 2000 Scream 3 felt like kind of a capper on that yes. cycle of slasher yes. movies. And we had just had The Sixth Sense come out. We had The Blair Witch come out around that time. The 2000s. So we have an entire decade's worth in between. And so the zeros, the aughts, we have an entire decade's worth of movies. And it's, um, you've got the torture porn stuff. You've got Saw, you've got Wrong Turn, you've got Hostel, you've got the Rob Zombie movies, yep. then you have... J-Horror. J-Horror, yep. you've got French Horror, you have remakes of J-Horror and French Horror, you have remakes of American Horror, mm-hmm. you ta- touch on the remakes, the big franchises Splat around... Pack, all that. Yeah. yeah, the big franchises around this time had had remakes, they had done Freddy vs. Jason, we had moved a little bit into... Oh, we had found footage stuff. Well, we had Paranormal Activity, you had Cloverfield. Yeah. So we had all these different things to comment on. And it does comment, honestly, I think it comments on most of those things. Most of them. Some of them are just, uh, the, I think the, like for instance, the J-Horror thing. It's just like one throwaway right. line. Right. But but I mean, in the movie, so we open and it's, it's what is it, Stab 6 that goes into Stab 7. That so goes into what's actually happening. Right. Fake out, fake out goes into what's actually happening. It's right. two people on a couch watching Stab 6, then there's two people on the couch watching them yeah. and Stab 7. Yeah. So I can, I can actually, I can feel the audience grow, like I can feel myself groaning by that second reveal that it's a fake out. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I understand what they were going for here, but it feels like fake Williamson. Right. And if he wrote this, then quite frankly, he's to blame. It's, it's, I don't know. Um, but it just doesn't feel, I don't know. It feels, but they say in the movie. I mean, they touch on torture porn. They say, yeah, Saw Four. It's not. They say Saw Four. I think it's not scary. It's gross, and so it's showing you too what the stab series. I guess I kind of like that aspect of it. It's showing you what the stab series has become because sure. they talk about how Part Five had a time traveling killer and the cheat. I mean, that's fun. Yeah, and the Part Six I think had a teleporting killer. So it is. It's pretty bloody too, if I recall. Yeah. So. And then it ends. And you get your Kristen Bell cameo. Yes, and she uh, she's very good in this, of course, because she's she acting. Kills Anna Paxton. She's yes. Uh, but it touches a little bit on where horror was at that. Yeah. Of the opening seeds, though, this is I think this is my least favorite. Three at least had some tension to it. This is just kind of goofy, funny. Even the when it gets to the real part with the um, woman from the younger woman from Friday Night Lights, yeah. uh, Amy T. Garden. Amy T. Garden. Thank you. Yep. Even when it gets to that. I just, I, it doesn't feel very suspenseful to me. It just no, feel, like, it feels by the numbers. But by that point, I've rolled my eyes a couple times at this. Uh, I think there was a way to do this, and I think there was a way to do this and subvert expectations that didn't feel so corny, right? I would have loved personally. I'll be honest with you, to have something that echoed the Drew Barrymore opening. I'm cool with that, but have it be a guy answering the phone. We'd never seen a ghost face terrorize. A lone male character. Even Cotton, it was. Even Cotton, it was, he's playing with Cotton's. Cotton's girlfriend was there, and so yeah. then, uh, and even Randy. Randy be the closest thing in Scream too. But but we'd never seen. Uh, I would have loved to have seen. And I'm talking like like make it like like kind of a a jockey, maybe more of a masculine type character, where you would think that they would be able to, you know, I'm using air quotes, handle the situation, right? 
That's that. And I would love would, to have seen that. And it would work too because this movie does some interesting stuff actually with like gender roles later. Yes, on. it yeah. does. <laughs> and it's. I think I will say this movie is very honest in terms of. Um, and actually, really, all the screen movies have been honest in terms of like all all, all teenagers watch movies, right? Like, it, like it's not like. Like especially by by 2011, all teenagers were pretty savvy. I yeah, mean, and movie literate. Yeah, especially. Yeah, we'll talk about Woodsboro a little later, but it, you can't help but be, I think, movie literate in Woodsboro, where they've made seven movies based on something that happened in your town. So that's that part I buy. I agree. So, but it, so it. So it, it comes off as corny to me, I'll be honest. It, yeah. It's like, eh, okay. But by the time you get to the... The thing I do like about it is, so those kills are gory and kind of over the top in, in the stab movies, but by the time you get to the part with Amy Teagarden, it's a little less gory, so yeah. it feels like, okay, you're in the real world This now. is the real deal, yeah. yeah. So, all right, so, the, so then we jump through, we get to meet everybody... We'll go up to the first kill, which is of Olivia, which is gory as hell. Yeah, her guts are hanging out of her, yeah. which is similar to Drew Barrymore's. <laughs> and then she... So, screen, uh, another quote, sorry. I, I've got some quotes here that yeah, I want to lead as like jumping off points in a conversation. This is from Scream Deconstructed by Scott Kessinger. Scream 4 takes a more stylistic approach. I bring this up because I agree with what he's saying, but I don't agree with it being the reasoning. But uh, okay. Scream 4 takes a more stylistic approach. The colors are muted, and the filmmakers apply bloom lighting throughout. Sunny windows are rectangles of big, splashy Vaseline whiteness, and shiny surfaces have a fuzzy resonance. It's shot as if it were an extended dream sequences. A dream sequence. The editing is too hyperactive, I agree, though not in the way you might expect. Though it doesn't employ the Michael Bay-ass shaky cam or rapid-fire cut, Scream, feel, Scream 4 feels overly efficient, as if there was a dearth of establishing shots. Cuts happen too soon, and scenes that seem to be... Like, they don't get a chance to breathe. There's a sense that the movie is moving a little too fast, like a feature film slightly edited and time-compressed in order to fit into a predetermined slide, this time slot. The real-world slice-of-life moments are excised in favor of only those that serve the movie. So, basically, he's he's saying that this is kind of like in an alternate reality. It's okay. trying to set up Scream 4 as kind of like a dream sequence, and it's kind of an alternate reality that maybe the killers are even controlling. I think it's an interesting read on it. I, I don't think it's intentional. At I don't all. think it's. I think no. that's just what Wes had. What Wes was at this point. No, and I, th- I, 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 I'm, I'm with him on that when he says there's no slice of life stuff. That, that is what even Scream Three has that right. Mm-hmm. Um, Scream Three is missing that with Sydney. That's the problem with, with Scream Three. But uh, it has that with Dewey and Gale. This is none of that to me. Um, and and it, it briefly maybe tries to do a little bit of that with Dewey and Gale. It just doesn't work. I, I just. This movie has a soullessness to it almost that it is very like the Ann Arbor. It looks like it, it looks like Ann Arbor. <laughs> yeah, it does. maybe it's just because I've been there. It looks like Ann Arbor, Northvale area, but you, he's right. It's, it looks like it's shot through a haze a lot of the time. Kind of. And there is an otherworldly quality, quality to it. And I get that, but that, this kind of the editing part of that I brought up early on, and I said kind of the same thing. I don't think that's intentional. I think that's because he lost his editor at this yeah, point. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. No, <laughs> and, I, I think you're totally and right. And Patrick Lussier is a very good editor. Very good. Yes. I think you're 100% right about that. Yeah, no, it just, it's, um, yeah. So we meet, this is though where we meet the new cast and the old cast. Okay. So. Sydney is back in town. She's selling her book. This goes back to the cynicism. I bring. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't feel. I feel bad because we're like shitting out of this movie. No, I, it's not a bad movie. It's not. I, I'll go. I'll go as far. It's not a bad movie. I don't think any of the screen movies are bad movies. I think it's a weak screen movie. How about that? So this is. So she is. She's selling a book. She says, "I'm tired of being a victim." 
so like this is a cynical take on Sydney, right? Like this is kind of like she she basically says, "I'm going to get mine." Like I was a victim for too long, and I'm going to get mine, and I'm going to get money. So it's not full on like Halloween to Loomis, right? By any means, and it, it could have been. Um, but isn't this kind of a bummer from where she was in Scream 3, where yes. she was on a assault hotline helping people yes. out? Now, so, granted, as you get into your 30s, you kind of become shittier. In some you ways. do, you do, I have. Um, <laughs> but um, but they try to double back a little bit and make, because they, they have her book publisher be like the shittiest person. Yes. Uh, she's her like, publicist. She's like, uh, like a crappier Is that Alison Brie? Yeah. Yes. Okay. They have her like as like the shittiest person to make Sydney's kind of shittiness feel a little bit lessened. Um, whether that works or not, I guess I, I don't think Sydney's shitty, but I, I agree it feels a little bit like, oh okay, this is you now, eh? All right, sweet. Yeah. The only time, you, the only reason you come back to Woodsboro is because you want to try and shill your book. You know, I don't know. Yeah, no, I get it. I kind I of agreed with the kids on there a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> These people all feel kind of gross. <laughs> Gail and Sydney, they all feel kind of. Then, like, okay, so she's her publicist is pretty see through, and I cannot believe the character of Sydney that would like not see through how no. she wouldn't hire a better. It's person. embarrassing. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, that's that's just silliness. No, the, the question I have to ask you is, what you know of Kevin Williamson? You've watched Dawson's Creek. Have you so, watched any yeah. vampires di- vampire diaries? Uh no. Nikki's watched. I Nikki's have. watching the originals as we speak. So I have two. I have I've watched Vampire Diaries. I've not watched originals. Okay. <laughs> Does he strike you? Uh, do he or even West by that point? Does any of this strike you as the the, the kind of nastiness we're talking about? No. Does that strike you? Does no, I've never. In- nothing I've ever watched of Williamson's. No, and in fact, in fact, and I think I've mentioned on the show before, Williamson always to me. Even when it was misguided and did, misguided and didn't land a hundred percent, Williamson to me was always the closest to hitting that kind of heart that John or John Hughes uh, was able to hit in his movies. Yes, and I think the reason why his movies—I know you're not the biggest Hughes fan, but like, no, what, the reason why his movies have had the longevity they've had and why they do have such a fan base is because of that heart. I think, um, and I think Williamson had that. Um, or has that? I I've never seen Vampire Diaries. I can't say for sure. No, it's a. I mean, it's it's a big soap opera show, but the characters, there's an earnestness and a hopefulness. To that, and and a, yeah, yeah, and it, and that's what that's that's what I'm talking the about. The kids, and it's it's very much on the. That's the other thing about this is Wes has always been on the side of the kids. Always. Yeah. Always. <laughs> this feels, now let me ask you He's this: Not this time. You've seen Aaron Kruger's work. You've seen the Transformers movies. Sure. Can, have you noticed any of that in those movies, especially the sequels? No. <laughs> Uh, there is some heart in the first Transformers movie. I'll say that. Yeah, and I think a lot of that people love to attribute to Spielberg being producer. I would agree because <laughs> it's bless his heart, and I love Michael Bay, but I think Mike. No, um, no, this is a this is a mean movie. It really is. Um, it doesn't like its characters. At they all. call her the Angel of Death, is what they call Sydney when she comes into town. It's a lot. Um, they, they shoot a guy in the dick. Yeah, that part's funny. <laughs> it's so mean. <laughs> well, even the, I brought a, I highlighted the Olivia kill because it's. Go, I want to touch on it a little she bit. She seems very nice. She seems very nice, and it is a mean, brutal kill. Brutal. I do. I do like that they're watching from across the street. Kind of. No, like I a, like her. Uh, her breaking through the window and stuff is really and Ghostface like staring at him. Yeah. There's some really effective kills. There's some ineffective kills. Haas and Perkins deputies. <laughs> Oh, terrible! This is the, so the new characters—they're all every single character in this movie, Tim. Very stupid. They all suck. 
they all feel like they're in a different movie. Not Kirby. Not Kirby. No, no, I'm talking about the adult characters, not the kid characters. <laughs> all the all the kid <laughs> characters, <laughs> the kid characters are actually okay. Like, like they don't like the the writers don't like the kid characters, but the, they serve their purpose, right? Um, even like Robbie and uh, Charlie, the 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 new Randys, they're fine. Like they're in the movie, they're fine. Like whatever. The adult characters, Haas, Perkins, the the two cops, the deputy, deputy Judy. <laughs> Every one of these characters, uh, 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 Emma Roberts, what's her character's name? Jill. Jill. Jill's mom. Sydney's aunt, right? Yes. They are only in this movie as red herrings. That's the only reason they exist in the universe. There's some interesting stuff with Sydney's mom that ties into the kind of the boomer, Gen X, millennial stuff, I think. I yeah. think they could have delved more into it. But, Me too. But I'm with you. I think it would have been more That's fair. Yeah. And I wish it was Lauren Graham, because that was originally the cast. Yeah. It was Lauren Graham. But, but, but whatever. But, but the, the, all the adult characters in this movie are literally just there to be red herrings, I think, personally. Uh, Deputy Judy's hilarious. She's was, so out of place. I think it was, yeah, I think it was the book I was reading that pointed out that, like, she makes sure to say she went to high school with Sydney, but it's another, it's another notch in the argument that, like, this movie is just siding with Sydney's generation over yeah. everybody else. Because yes. <laughs> she she's surviving. Survives. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and she's exactly. A, she is a, she's not a smart character. She's There's like, literally a scene, Tim, where she's completely concealed in shadow and, like, emerges from the shadows and she's like, hi, Sydney. And you're like, are you fucking kidding me? Like you instantly go, I, that's, she's not a killer. Well, there's that. Like, it's, what, it's bad. You think Nev is good in this movie? I think Nev's all right. In this she's movie. fine. Yeah. Nev, is, Nev's, Nev is always good. Nev's always good. Yeah, Nev Nev's good. good. Uh, Arquette and Cox are fine. You know what? They're uh, fine. D- yeah. yeah, they're not given much to do. Arquette. They don't have a ton to do in this one, but they had a ton to do in three, so I kind of forget yeah. it. Yeah, and, and I think Arquette's good. I'm, yeah, I'm and I like the, I like the, the idea that. Gal Weathers is bored in Woodsboro and trying to find something to do. That's fun. I, I like that. I can dig that. And I like Dewey as Sheriff. So I'm the returning three are handled fine, in yes. my opinion. Yes, you could read into the whole Sydney book selling thing is kind of sleazy. I let it go a little bit because I don't think that was the intention. It's um, a, I mean, it's an understandable move by her. But don't get me wrong. Like, if if she does this in real life, I don't judge her. No. Like, she she should get some money. But it doesn't feel like Sydney 100%. It doesn't. No. Yeah. And so maybe I'm she's doing things. Someone else points out, I think in the trivia, IMD trivia, it was pointed out, or I'm sure someone else, she doesn't have the necklace in this movie. She does not. She doesn't have the green. weird. I thought that was weird. Yeah. And maybe it ties into a little bit what we're talking about, how she's kind of. Maybe she's, who knows? Grown a little I don't bit know. People grow in 10 years. Harsher so. and. Yeah, colder. I'm fair with that. Um, let's uh, yeah, continue on. Let's yes. talk about Stabathon. So we've gone That's through... so stupid, dude. That's <laughs> so dumb. Okay, so I do want to... Okay, so I think there's some good and some bad with Stabathon. So you know they drank the hurricane in New Orleans? Yeah. It's like... Yes. It was It was invented in the old... In the, I think in the, around World War II. Yeah. And so it's a drink called the hurricane. They... they You make it in a hurricane glass. Yeah. Then back in the uh, Pat O'Brien's, yes, I have had yeah. a hurricane. Pat O'Brien's, it was like a speakeasy at the time, and you used to have to get in with the password "Storms Brewing." The reason I'm bringing this up is because I, cool. I do like in this movie. I like the way Woodsboro. There's a town that dreaded sundown feel to mm-hmm. this too. Yeah, where I like the way that Woodsboro has decided to take this tragedy that has happened there and just own it. Sure. And say, like, we're not going to, like, this is going to define us to the outside world, but we're not going to let it beat us. Like, we're not going to yeah. hang our heads about it. And it reminds me of New Orleans with the hurricane, because New Orleans has been battered with hurricanes throughout its existence. Yes. And they named a drink after it. And, yeah. And they, no, I like that. 
yeah. they've taken an irreverence to it. And I do like that in this movie. Now, here's what I want to say about Stabathon, and it ties into what we've been talking about with these new, new characters, is there is a callousness and just a cruelty to these teenagers that even... Even in the first movie with like the liver alone comment, yeah. at least Tatum's there to like slap him and say, quit being an asshole. Yeah, and he's one of the killers. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so, exactly. So he's kind of yes. a fucking asshole. Yeah. Um, but even Randy does the, uh, does the impression like after, and even then, it's not their best friend. Is Drew Barrymore is not like their best no. friend. She's someone they go to school with. <laughs> their best friend just got killed. Yes. And Kirby is going to a Stabathon movie. It makes no sense. I this is these kids are heartless and awful and shitty, and it's where I lose any sympathy for them. And I liked a couple of them, and I yeah. like Kirby. <laughs> let's uh, let's let's take a okay. We're not. We're I guess we're ten years removed from this movie, so it is. It's been a while. It's been as long between now and this movie as it was between Screen Three and this movie, which is crazy to me. Anyway, whatever. I think I like to think that kids are getting smarter generation generation after generation and I shouldn't say smarter I think you know that's not true I won't say that I think kids are becoming more emotionally intelligent in a lot of ways I think kids are if anything having more empathy for their fellow humans now than when we were kids yeah, let me right? let me just ask you. So you look at the problems of the world. You think the kids are the problems right now? No. no. <laughs> if I look at the reaction of today's youth to what's going on in the world, and I'm not going to dig into it because right. we're talking about Scream Four, right? But if you look, coronavirus. Okay. I think most kids from Generation Z would it be Generation Z? Is that is that right? I, 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 Around I, yeah, just, sure. Yeah, young young folks younger than us take this pretty seriously and understand what's going on. I think. Right? I like to think that. Do you think that you'd have the turnout at Stabathon that you'd have with these kids? If, this uh, was, if, if, there, were, if there were people actively being murdered by someone in a ghost face mask? Do you think oh, I thought so? you were talking about during coronavirus. No, 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 I've seen no, no, some no, no, news no, no, stories. No, no, no. Well, okay. is it in Florida? No, uh, <laughs> um, uh, sorry to our Florida listeners, but there's a lot going on down there. Yeah. Um, but do you think you'd have this insane... Rave level party going on when the, straight up there were kids from their school being killed by somebody in ghost face mask. Do you think that the, the so I'm pretty I think sure you would have, if Stabathon wasn't canceled, it would at least be a handful of dirty dudes in a room like, well, I'll still do it. Like, that'd be it. Like, Robbie and Charlie would be there. So now here's the thing is I don't. Yeah, well, I don't think that I think there would be kids that would still go. Of I course. do not think. I think Kirby is the one I have a huge issue with. A huge issue with her going, because it doesn't even feel true to her character. It doesn't feel true to her character, and there's stuff later on. It's a weird, I like her, but I think a lot of it is her performance, because her character is wildly inconsistent throughout the entire movie, and her going to that party is such a shitty move. Her best, she watched her best friend get murdered. One of her best friends killed, yeah. By a guy in a ghost face mask. Right. She wasn't shot, okay? Let's, 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 like... If her best friend was like killed by in like a uh, a rob, she should have several of them got robbed, right? Yeah. Even if she has reasoning for going, like does she does she no, think the killer is going be to go because it's fun? And I, I I feel that way about a lot of these kids. Kirby's obviously a nice vessel to to feel this way about, but 
I don't know. But speaking of Kirby, later on, right? Like the, the some of the stuff with, and I agree with you. I really like Hayden Panettiere in this movie. I like the Kirby character overall, but some of the decisions made there are kind of odd. Um, some of the stuff with her and Charlie later on when when they're right. yeah. Let's get to the house. Yes. So the every house party it, it mimics Scream One, right? It's a bunch of the kids all in one place. So this is where so we're down to the main four kids at the house. Is it four? So there's Jill Kirby. Oh, and then the one the Jill Kirby, Robbie, the Charlie, boyfriend runs in Trevor. Right. Trevor is such an afterthought. Anyway, um, so he runs. He, I kind of love Trevor just because of how big of an afterthought he is. So he was originally one of the killers in an early draft. And they said, well, it's too oh, close okay. to too close to, to Skeet. So. I had the uh, quote from Williamson, Kevin Williamson here. Yeah. So this was done in 2014 with Cinephiles. Okay. And it says, it's weird. When I pitched Scream 4, I pitched Scream 4, 5, and 6. Williamson explained to a few journalists, including Cinephiles, following a panel for his new TV show, Stalker, at the Critics Association. He says, I pitched a whole new trilogy i guess scream 4 never took off in a way they hoped and so and he said while williamson went on to confirm what any scream fan already knows he's not involved in the series development anymore as wes craven and his team are quote done with him so there's some there seemed to be a little bit of bad blood yeah with williamson That's and too bad. wes and honestly i think the weinsteins because i think williamson has made subtle hints to being very annoyed yes, with the weinsteins i don't blame him uh, he also noted that these original pitches could very well turn into something bigger if the future all goes well he says it's all here on my computer if they want to buy it from me, he said with a smirk. So he's got those sequel pitches on his computer is what he's saying for four, five, and six, his original plan. So that tells me what we've been talking about, which is this movie plays into that reboot aspect. I don't know how much of that is Williamson's original pitch, original idea. I don't idea. think it is. Because I think a lot of it, a lot of really Williamson's original pitch, from what I'm gleaning into this interview, is based around this new generation yeah. and that's what the marketing was they kind of it totally it. was and that that's, that bummed me out yeah. i'll be honest even the first viewing so no i think you're right i think williamson i think williamson wanted a passing the torch movie i'm not saying that dewey wouldn't pop up in, in scream five or gail wouldn't pop up in scream six whatever like but i think that this was meant and i think you can see echoes or shadows of that right in this movie that it was meant to be I think we were meant to see some of these Kirby come back, or yeah. I don't know, uh, Robbie come back, or whoever come back. I think that that was the that was the intention. I really believe that. But the other, this is where it hits me too when we get all these kids together is where this movie does not strike a good balance of time spent with the original cast yeah. and time spent with the new the yeah. new the old cast seems a little bit overbearing at times. Sure, and I don't. Part of my issue so. With like the Kirby, I keep going back to the Kirby character because I think she's wildly inconsistent. Sure, but like we're still in, like we're still in the next day after her friend gets murdered, right? Sure. If I got the time, next day or two, it moves quick. Yeah. So, like, even if she is like looking for the killer, she just, it just seems to me like she should be a little bit more sure, like a little bit more bummed out. <laughs> Maybe she didn't like that girl very much. I don't know. Um, but then she's she's really forward with what's his name, Charlie. Charlie. But then like yeah, it's really strange. Um, I, and like I said, I like her. So I, I, I actually like that she's very forward with Charlie. I yeah. like that part, but it also just feels, it's just, I never get a handle on any of the kids in this movie, except for Jill when she reveals her plan. Yeah, like, oh, I get she's it something else. I, I, I kind of like the reveal. You like Jill, don't you? I kind of like the reveal. So. Uh, okay, so let's talk about the killers. Let's, let's get yes. to it, right? So, so Trevor gets shot in the dick and then the head by Jill because Jill's a killer. But f- before that, we get the reveal that Charlie is one of the killers, right? And I think that that scene actually works pretty well. 
I actually quite like it. I think the reveal in this is better. You know what? I think it's the second best reveal. I think Charlie's reveal is really good. Yeah, actually. me too. I mean, I, I think Charlie becomes wasted because he just kind of gets offed. But you need that secondary villain. There's the, like Scream. Anytime there's two killers, right? We talked about this. There's always the second villain who's just kind of crazy. Charlie's that, right? Although he feels less crazy to me than Mickey and Stu. He feels more methodical to me, which weirdly kind of makes sense with the generation. To me, like, I, I don't know. It works. Um, I like his reveal because I like that he legitimately is one of the first killers in the screen that feels conflicted to me. Like, he... Because there's that moment where he stabs Kirby after the reveal happens. He, that is the reveal. Is he stabs her knees. He's like, why couldn't you have told me you liked me? Like, whatever. Like, I find that interesting. There's something going on there. I wish they could have... We could have... I, I feel like there's something there and we could have done more with it. Um... I don't think he went crazy. I think that the only problem with that is the insinuation that like he's crazy because she didn't tell him she had the th- hots for him, which is Correct. stupid. It doesn't make any sense. But oh, if you read more into it, maybe there's more to it in, in terms of like maybe he, maybe he was a bit of a lovelorn, nerdy kid, and he fell in with the wrong gal, Jill, and he wishes that maybe he would have wound up with a Kirby, right? I, I don't know. But yeah. there's something there that's interesting. It doesn't go anywhere, mind you, but... I think it could, is what I'm trying to say. Does that make any sense? Yeah, we didn't even talk about the kid that uh, tells the one guy, the scream, uh, the ghost face that he's gay. Robbie, he sucks. Uh, Robbie sucks. Do you think he's gay or do you think he's trying to get out of it? I don't care. I don't care. (laughs) I don't care. (laughs) Honestly, that kid sucks because that kid is just, he's literally just, he is literally just a cipher for what the writer, in this case, probably Aaron Kruger, thinks that think, generation is like so let me okay let me I start a camera in my head I, i'm gonna do everything on the internet i want to get into that 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 whole gay thing the i'm i'm gay i'm gay you can't kill me so a uh, question for you he says that the only way to survive a horror movie these days is to be gay usually the only guarantee for surviving a horror movie these days is being gay yeah what horror movie is he referring to there's none Scream 4 does not show its work. No. <laughs> like, I, There's not a lot of gay folks in mo- horror movies. No, and no. I don't recall a lot of them surviving at the end. Not that I... Can you think of one? I, uh, high tension, maybe. Is she gay, though? Isn't she kind of... The a, killer's gay. Yeah, that's what I mean. So she survives, right? Oh, yeah. She's in an institution. <laughs> but does that count? She's a killer. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, I, so maybe that's what he's talking about? No, it doesn't but make sense. I don't like the other read on it either, which is where he's lying to the killer, because that feels to me... Like a gross like attack on like like it feels to me like a gross like attack on like PC culture. Like he's on the ground, like saying like, I'm gay, I'm gay, you can't kill me. Like just by saying it means that It's like, gonna save him, yeah. <laughs> it's gonna save him. Yeah, that whole thing is gross. I, you I know, don't yeah. <laughs> given the cynicism of this movie, I'm gonna lean into that second uh explanation. <laughs> it's such a shitty, shitty thing. Um Alright, so now, I'm going to let the gentleman who wrote that book stick up for this ending, because I do agree with Son of Son of. Okay. And this okay. is why I do like Jill. And Jill's this, sweet. Fuck it. Yeah. Okay. So you're yeah. on the Jill train. Yeah. Jill's cool. I think this is, like I said, I think this is my second favorite killer. Um, I'm cool with the cynicism well, of Jill. Not. How about that? I am cool with the cynicism of the Jill character, because I believe that there are human beings this day and age who legitimately think like Jill does. Right. I believe that. I truly do. 
So the uh, so I'm cool with that. He says this is from yeah Scream Deconstruction Destructed, a good little book. Um, I mean I mean it not like I didn't mean that kind of sentiment. I mean it's kind of a little book. It's like 100 pages. Sure. The true twist of Scream Four is that we weren't actually watching a reboot at all. It was all part of Jill's devious plan. Jill has set this reboot into motion so she can become a new final girl and she can kill Sydney and take her place and instantly gain her fame, sympathy, and admiration. But she's a fraud, a cheat. Jill is a conniving sociopath who would sell out any of her supposed loved ones in order to pursue her selfish and selfish interest. She wants to be the new Sydney, but instead of earning it like Sydney has, she creates fake circumstances in order to try to achieve it. Jill isn't real. The unreality of screens universe movie universe fakery. Yeah, we'll skip that part. This is, uh, Oh, I do like this part. This is essentially the fear and near knee jerk reaction. Movie fans feel when their favorite movies are put through the reboot machine. The prior series is killed and a new movie is put in its place. Jill is specifically a bad, inferior remake of Sydney, a pretender to the throne, a soulless cash-in looking to score easy fame. Screen 4 doesn't hate remakes any more than Scream hated horror movies. I disagree with that part. The key is that they don't try to replace the original. Rather, they found and earned their own story. If the replacement is inferior, their time and ownership of the story will fade, and the original re- will return to prominence. So that's I his read. some of that. I love, 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 love the beginning of that. I love the idea that Jill is trying to reboot the franchise and at the end of the day is just... Um, she becomes a soulless cash-in, right? I, I, I dig that. Right. I don't think they lean enough into that. I think they try a little bit. The problem is that, once again, I think this is a movie of two minds. I think that it's... it's I think that it wants to be that movie, but I think it also wants to be... I, it just doesn't... It doesn't I, feel focused enough to me. I, I love that's... I love that idea that you're talking about, and I love that idea that he's talking about. Yep. Of I, but this is why I like Jill. This yep. is what, Jill specifically. The Jill twist works for me. <laughs> it does. It's when you add that onto the layer of the rest of these kids feeling like soulless cashins. <laughs> like that emptiness of Jill's character is what permeates the rest of the movie for me, especially with the youth. What what kid in this movie is sympathetic? What what kid? Younger than twenty years old in this movie is I guess Olivia. What character? For the first, <laughs> but you don't even minutes. know her. So sure, okay, I'll give you Olivia. Yeah, That's Kirby. It. Kirby loses me when she goes to Stabathon. I she's like not her. terribly sympathetic. Actually, you know what? When we're introduced to her, she's speeding through a suburban. Like a suburban. <laughs> I like the character, but <laughs> she's not sympathetic. Robbie sucks. Charlie's not terribly sympathetic. Yeah. Uh, I, Trevor, no. Even Tatum had a heart. In the first movie, was sympathetic. I and felt bad. I didn't want her to die. It's those slice of life moments, like Sydney and Tatum uh, having a sleepover, having a sleep in pajamas. <laughs> yes. There's none of that in this. Yeah, no. It's 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 really actually. I I am legitimately surprised, and I'll be honest. All the the whole and once they get in the hospital, I'm done with this movie. I don't care anymore. I'm over it. Um, I just I at once we get to the hospital portion of this. I know who the killers are. I know Sydney's going to beat Jill. It becomes this stupid over-the-top thing where she kills her with fucking shock paddles. Yeah, that's a little on the nose. It's dumb. Killing, killing a millennial with technology with uh, it's electricity. Dumb. <laughs> it's dumb. Uh, there's people getting knocked out of bedpans, and there's the, the ridiculous over-the-top uh, closing bit with the newscaster going like, the sole survivor and hero, Jill. I'm like, okay, we get the point, you motherfuckers. Like, it just doesn't. Uh, th- that whole thing. I they the, as soon as they leave the house and go to the hospital, I don't care about this movie anymore. Um, and I kind of felt that way the first time too, to be honest with you. But I really feel about it this time. It just, I am surprised. I am legitimately surprised by the fact I did not go into this 
Summer of Scream series that we're doing thinking that I would walk out going Scream 3 is more enjoyable than Scream 4. I really did not see that coming. And I'll be honest with you, it is. So I think I don't hate Scream 4. I don't think it's a terrible movie. I think there's a lot to like. I, I think, think it's a frustrating. I think that maybe there's a frustrating film. I think that's maybe why yes. you and I have come across a little more negative on this one yeah. is because I think we both were looking forward to this going in. I think it's a frustrating movie because the stuff that we like, we do like. Yeah. But it just, I think trying to balance the new and the old characters I don't think it. They spend too much time, and there's not enough development on the new characters to where you, yeah, like you said, you feel any sympathy. Um, in the hospital, I do. What was it? I do want to point out. I like that the. I've decided that I like that the trio survives all of these movies. That feels. Like I'm fine with it now. Like, like like at this point, I know I'm cool with it. Yeah, yeah. But it's that uh, he mentions it. I think it a little bit in that he talks a little bit about how it's the it's that generation defeating those 2000s because those 2000s horror movies could be kind of bleak um, and nihilistic but to me that's kind of what this it's he says it's them defeating that idea but to me I don't know it, this movie is super bleak it just, there's an emptiness to this movie the it is bleak because you know what? it is bleak because it's saying that this older generation has it right and these kids are all screwed up yeah like so the future of America is You're these, fucked and then they're just money hungry fame monsters for the most part who do not have any empathy nope. for their friends <laughs> so to me that is bleak and that's not scream to me honestly it's not because those first scream movies as dark as they can get and as cruel and nasty and mean as they can get there's sometimes, a true heart to it there is a heart to it and yeah. it's it, a lot of it is sydney's character and when they do what they do sometimes to sydney's character when they make her a little harder edge i think it kind of hurts it too and i'll be like i i like nev in this movie but she does feel a little bit like she does i i don't know if it, she she doesn't 100 percent feel like she wants to be there some of this movie i'll be honest with you yeah she's there and she does her performance and she does a good job but maybe that's part of what she was doing with sydney was making her a little bit more uh, cold, that, but they don't do anything with that. That's my problem, right? right? If they had delved further into Sydney, maybe have been being hardened a little bit by her experiences and maybe taking a bit of a harder edge and 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 making money off of her situation and stuff like that. There's something there that you could do. I think that doesn't go as far, certainly as like Loomis uh, in Halloween too, but, but that maybe, that maybe is interesting and does do some cool stuff with the character and does forward the character and advance the plot and they don't do any of that. So I just, I, I, and this is why I, if I was in charge of Scream 5 and I'm using, if I was in charge of Scream 5, I would ignore 2, 3, and 4. And it's not because I don't like 2, 3, and 4. I like 2, 3, and 4 quite a bit. There's just too much baggage at this point, in my opinion. I think, what, what do you do with Scream 5? So basically, you have another shot at doing four, right? At this at this juncture, you now have another ten years that's passed, right? You got another ten years of of horror movies that have now uh, become part of this cultural zeitgeist. It follows, and uh, there there haven't been as many horror trends. I'll say that the indie horror has been bigger now. The low budget horror has been bigger now. But you got all your Blumhouse stuff, your found footage. They could do all, all that, you know, like that's be meta about. Well, like, yeah, that's the thing is Blumhouse is Blumhouse. Those movies are kind of doing what Scream argued horror movies should be doing <laughs> yes exactly so so i think you have less to play with in that perspective than you did before uh and so what are you going to do so y- your options are either a make it another try another passing of the torch situation but actually do it this time yeah. so make have bring back your new cast or part of your new cast or your old cast rather 
had them pass the torch to a new generation. Doesn't it feel a little too late, too little late for that at this point? Then I think uh, we talked about this being the lowest grossing screen movie. It still made some money, so people yeah, remember yeah, and have seen this one. So I don't. But, but does does that uh, to me that feels too little too? Late. I just don't. I don't need to see that. It feels too little too late, and it just feels like we've already tried this we, and it didn't work. Yeah. Um, and then the other option is you just bring back the original three and you make another screen movie. Okay. Well, what do you do with that? What's the point? What you know what I mean? So I guess I'm just. In order to make it work from a plot perspective, and to me, plot is almost usually everything in movies, especially movies that I, I, I appreciate on a level that I appreciate the Scream series on. If you're going to do it right, I think you have to ignore those sequels. I think you just make it, you essentially make it a new Sydney, not a new Sydney, but a version of Sydney that this is, God, how long ago was Scream? One? 96? 96. We're, yeah. So we're now... 25 years. 25 years removed. Almost, yeah. Okay. Make it a Sydney who survived that that horrible night 25 years ago, and all of a sudden, the past comes back. That's interesting to me. Uh, do, a, do a Halloween 2018 with it. And I am not the world's biggest champion of Halloween 2018. I have major issues with that movie. Uh, but You would not bring in Dr. Sertan. I would not. <laughs> no. Um, but... Do something like that. I think that's the key. I think that's the way you make it work. Do I think they're going to do that? I do not. But I don't know. I I kind of dig. I like the Radio Silence guys. I'm I'm really looking. I'm excited. Yeah. No, I'm excited. I should say I I will, I'm excited. Do I think it? Uh, but if I'm being completely honest, do I think I'm going to be? Do I really think I'm going to walk away feeling all that differently than I did with Scream Four? I don't. I hope they prove me wrong. I do. I do. So, yeah, you touched on pretty much everything. I've seen some newer stories breaking from, like, a couple of YouTubers that I follow, and I don't want to... I, I didn't actually watch the latest one. I don't want to talk about too much until I see something official regarding this movie. On where, what are you hearing out of curiosity? I, I, like I said, I didn't watch the one today, but the, the, he, he was going over kind of a cast list, and he went, he went over the plot. I think you and I talked about this a little bit, and it sounds a lot like Scream 4. Like, she is, Sydney's going back to Woodsboro to investigate murders that are happening around that town. It's what the plot. I am leery of this. Uh, and it, there was a shooting title that was the video I watched. And then the uh, I've seen a couple people post videos about the cast breakdown because they found some stuff. So Is is she even official, Nev Campbell, at this point? I don't. She's in talks, I heard. Yeah. I, don't I know heard if, Arquette's official. Arquette is the only one I think that is official. Okay. Nev is in talks. Everything I heard, I heard nothing just, about. Yeah, I think just everything's on pause right now until yeah, right, everything gets sorted out and they can shoot. Sure. Which, I mean, I, I'm done predicting the future yeah, <laughs> when it comes yeah, to this. Yeah. Um, but we'll see when that happens. So, I, I don't want to speculate. I, I do want to say this. Part of the, I kind of love that the main trio survives these four yeah. movies, and I am not against them surviving the fifth movie. And I think some people. I have been, I think I've even said on this podcast, you got to kill one of them. You got to kill one of them. I'm fine with them doing yeah. it. I, I don't think you need if done, to. Yeah. But. If done correctly, I think it'll work. Yeah. But there is part of me that, the reason I love these movies so much, and maybe why I'm a little bit down on Scream 4 right now, is I like, horror movies don't have to end bleak. 
Yeah. Stephen King has approved this. Yeah. <laughs> the Scream movies have approved yeah. this. Bad things can happen in horror movies. They should happen in horror movies because they're horror movies. Mm-hmm. But your characters can survive and they can become and they can grow and they can become better people. I like following the growth of this trio of characters throughout these movies. Yeah. As, I agree. Yeah, as car- cartoonish as it might get sometimes with like Scream Three and Dewey and Sydney, of course. Or Dewey, well, and, and, and Dewey and let's be honest. How many times can this possibly happen to these people? That's the other thing you got to be careful for. Go. Yeah, then. Yeah. But you know what? I do like a little bit about Scream Four is Sydney's a little bit more proactive to me in Scream yeah. Four. She. A lot of times, Final Girls are reactive just by the nature of the character, sure. but Sydney is a little bit. And part of the reason I don't hate that plot description that's been released in Scream 5, because at least it's giving Sydney a reason to go back. She's like, I'm going, I'm going. She's like, I'm going back, I'm going to stop this. Yeah. I'm going to cut it off at the knees. It could be really cool. Yeah. Depending on where they go with it. And you know what? There could be a Halloween uh, 2018 reboot way to do that. Yeah. So. So maybe that, maybe that, maybe that, maybe I'm not on the wrong page here. Right. Maybe they, who knows? Maybe they're going to do something that ignores the other ones. I wonder though. Is it going to be as easy for audiences to understand what's happening with them ignoring Scream 2, 3, and 4 as it was with audiences understanding they were ignoring all the Halloweens but one? This is where so, so That's tricky, right? Part of the issue, I think, too... I think audiences are more savvy now. Part of the issue, too, with Scream 4... Well, I think Scream 4 came uh, a few years too early, and I think, I think you and I have discussed this a little bit, too, is I think... It, one of the things it does do is it predicts that uh, what do what do you always call it the legacy sequel? Yeah. In some ways, it kind of it comes before that. So I do like that. I think it's a couple of years too early in a lot of ways too. I think I, I almost wonder if you're right, and I wonder if if maybe if it had come a few years later, we would have had more of a legacy sequel type vibe. A legacy sequel type vibe, and honestly, if maybe it would have been a little bit more polished in some ways. I guess yeah. is what I'm saying. Sure. <laughs> it could have used sure. those movies. So, um, I lost my train of thought. No, I, 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 I'm, I'm with you. I, I wonder if maybe, <laughs> maybe this is a chance right. for them to be able to do that. Because we, the thing that I think that hit about Halloween, when you, you and I grew up on Scream, but I think you and I were both younger Scream fans too. It's a generational thing too where we have that nostalgia now for this and we're in an yes. age group that would go see this. I think part of the reason this was the, what I was saying, Scream 4 is the lowest grossing in a lot of ways is because we had reached the age where we had 10 years is a lot of time, but it, you don't reach that nostalgia yeah. to look back at it. And now we're 25 years from that first scream. Yeah. And I think that's when you and I both now feel a certain, we've uh, we've talked about it, we feel a certain nostalgia. We have a warmth for that first scream movie. Well, it's crazy, right? So so here's, here's what's fascinating to me. Time is fucking great nuts. Yeah. I don't think I've ever felt time more... And maybe it's maybe it's it's the craziness of the world right now. Maybe it's the fact that I have a daughter, right? So like it changes things when you have a kid a little bit too, where like you view time a little differently. She so let's say she reaches the age that I saw the first scream. I don't remember, but I'm gonna take a guess and say I was probably eleven, ten, eleven, somewhere in there when I saw the first scream. So that's gonna be she's two now. So let's say eight years from now, scream one will be like 30-some years old at that point, okay? It's insane to me that Scream 1 will be older for her when she first sees it than Halloween 1 was for me when I first saw it. Because I was 8 when Halloween... I I was 8 years old... I'm sorry, Halloween was 8 years old when I was born. By the time I saw it, it was probably 
it, under tw- still under 20 years old. It was probably 18, 19 years old, maybe 20. She's going to see Scream when it's like 35 years old. That's fucking insane. Yeah. So, yeah, there is a nostalgia, right? And, and, and it's, I don't know. I, I'm curious to see if they're able. I, I do have, I think these guys can really pull it off. I really think they can. I just don't want to get my hopes too far up. If nothing else, I want to go in and have fun trying to guess who the killer is and then going, oh, wow, the killer is this person. If I can get that, I'll be fine. Maybe throw a Creed song on the soundtrack. I wish there was Williamson, but I, I don't know where Williamson's at. I don't know where he's at. Yeah, I, I, do we need him at this point? I mean, I like, I, I even I, just I, having him give us blessing. I'm that would be it. nice. Yeah. I'd like him to say something would yeah. be cool. Uh, just because it feels like he's such a, he has commented on, I, I believe he's had interviews talking about what, okay. what they presented him and he gave it his. Oh, good. Stamp, well, there you go. So. I'm happy with that. I'm cool with that. 